on episode 86 of Pixel Gaiden. The boys hit you up with some news. Tim teaches us about the Medusa. Have you ever paid for an empty box? Is Atari actually releasing software now? Cody talks turn-ons and turn-offs. Six good games with frogs. Don't forget firmware updates. Eric talks Chinese Franken systems. And the guys record together live in studio. Hello, everybody! Woo! Hello, Eric! Let, let me sing you a little something. You ready? Please do. Reunited and it feels so good! Reunited! You like the harmonies there? I do. It was Eric. beautiful. Touch my hand. We're gonna Hold Thelma, my hand. We're going to Thelma and Louise this. <laughs> uh, if you guys can't tell, Eric and I are together live in studio. Yeah, for the first time in how many months? Like... It's been a long time. And my phone went off professional. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been about a year. I mean, roughly a year yeah. at this point. Well, yeah. Yeah. I knew it was between somewhere between eight months and a year. Yeah. <clears throat> but here we are. Here we are. I made the long drive out here, but it was worth it. It's a nice drive. It wasn't bad. Yeah. Happy 4th. Happy 4th. Yeah. We celebrated our freedoms. <laughs> our freedoms were celebrated. Yep. Um. For you guys listening, happy 15th, as this episode should be released on the 15th. Yep. Welcome to Pixel Guided, your number one place for everything retro and retro video game related. Retro video game talk, news, and tech, and web, and things. I never know how to say that, but I always feel compelled to. We talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> we always try to keep it retro related in some way. This month on Pixel Guided, we are going to be covering a number of things. Um... Tim's going to join us next episode, but we'll have him in spirit today when we do Tea Time with Tim. He's going to be talking about the new Medusa Scan Doubler, which I know nothing about. Neither. Um, Cody's Corner coming up this episode where I'm going to talk about, Eric, my turn-ons and turn-offs <laughs> when it comes to video games. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> you thought I was joking there. Uh, Eric and I are, of course, going to go ahead and uh, talk about some news. Yep. Remember, it's news to us, not necessarily news to everybody. And then we will be diving into six good games. Eric, what theme did we choose this time? Well, we didn't choose it. <laughs> Cody chose it, and it's a game that involves frogs. <laughs> no frogs. Way to, there's no way to be... To, like, no. where did that come from, Cody? <laughs> six good frog games. Frog games, yeah. I got to there's ex- a lot of frog games out there. I got to explore some new games that I had never played before, and I played some old games that I didn't know had frogs in them, so I'm eager to talk about them. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, Eric, we like to start everything off, uh, as we always do, by telling you next about episode 87, which comes out next month. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> oh, I forgot to do that. Uh, yeah, so on the 30th, we'll come out another episode. Tim will actually be here live on the show uh, to go ahead and do a game show. I'm the uh, MC of that one this time. And then uh, we are going to catch up, as we like to do. And we're going to cover a battle of the systems. Yeah. It was a unique one this time. Yeah. The battle of the systems. Let's talk about the battle of the systems. <laughs> 
It's a pinball. It's about a handheld pinball. Handheld 8-bit pinball. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, it was 8-bit. And on the show last time, we talked about what we actually came up with a thought there. But I changed one of the games. And we can get into that later. But it is Revenge of the Gator on the Game Boy versus... Oh, shoot. It's with Wizard game. Pinball. Wizard Pinball on the Game Gear. Wizard Pinball right? on the Game Gear, yes. Sega versus Nintendo. You called an audible. Console we changed ex- it. Yep, yep. Uh, anyways, uh, where was I? As we like to do on every episode, Eric, we start with Quick Questions. Quick Questions. All right, Eric, who has our first Quick Question this time? Tim. Our boy, Tim. He says, spotted on eBay this month was a moldy empty box for a Commodore 1084 ST, which is a monitor. Yeah. Uh, priced at 90 pounds. Mm-hmm. Crazy money. And that was just for the box. Have you ever been tempted to pick up an empty box to complete a game or a system? I'm curious what you have to say about this, Eric. Absolutely not. I'm a gamer at heart. I play the games. I don't really care much about the boxes. So I never have considered buying a box outside of the system. Now, a lot of the systems I bought, especially the ones I got on Goodwill, I'd get them for, I'd get a Commodore 64 for 15 bucks. Yep. It would have a box that was practically in perfect shape. And yeah, uh, I mean, I have three VIC 20 boxes. I think I have four Commodore 64 boxes. Oh, that's right. I still need to get after the trade you for a big 20 bucks yeah yeah no, i got one for that's you. gonna answer my question right there isn't it that's right <laughs> um so i have never went out of my way to buy one for a system because i don't i'm not a completionist i don't really care so i think actually when i think about it my answer would be no i've never bought a box by itself however if you turn around and look above you there and then you, you yeah. saw the other part of my room yeah um i love having the boxes sure. they make great display pieces especially now that i have this huge room yeah to decorate yeah. And do with what I will. I want to display the boxes. They look cool. They do look cool. They're beautiful. Like I said, I love them. I just, uh, yeah. I've never bought them separately. Their investments are only going up in value. Yes, right. Um, so I think I, I would, I'll say I haven't bought a box by itself, but I have paid more for a system because it included the box. Okay. So if I saw, I don't know, a, I'll just say a Commodore 64 for 100 bucks, and then I saw one with the box for 120 I would go for the box at one twenty. Okay. Now the problem with that, <laughs> half the time when you do that, they ship it in the box and put like the labels and everything on the box, right? And that's beyond frustrating. Yeah. So, that being said, my that big old Amiga five hundred box I have up there still has the FedEx label and stuff because I'm like, I guess I'll just leave it because because you don't want to peel it and ruin the box. Yeah. Yeah, you can barely see it there because of yeah, the power gloves in the way. The Amiga boxes were really cool though. Uh, this one's not. This one looks very business-like. Oh, it's really? huge, though. Yeah, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, second question comes from 48K Ram, a.k.a. Josh Malone. Okay, PC gamers. Quick question. What's your 8... This is how Josh sounds? Yeah. What's your favorite 8-bit RPG? That's not how... That's not how he sounds. <laughs> Console or computer is allowed. Any RPG style. So, 8-bit RPG. You know what's funny, though? He said PC, PC gamers. No, oh. PG gamers. Oh, I'm reading it wrong. Pixel okay, I'm Gaiden. sorry. Pixel Gaiden game. Oh, look at the shout out there. Yeah. All right. But so to answer the question, Josh wanted to go first. His favorite 8-bit RPG, RPG on console or computer, is Crystallis on the NES. He says it's an action RPG from SNK. Great music. Decent enough story. Good combat and inventory system that doesn't bog right uh, down too much, but isn't unlimited either. Uh, graphics weren't the best, but very serviceable. 
Uh, he says he's completed this game several times, really enjoys it, and just don't play the Game Boy Color version, which I didn't know existed, because it ruins the ending, which I don't know what that means exactly. But uh, that, first of all, that's a great choice. I love Crystal. Yeah, it's a great NES I, game. I know you've mentioned it on past shows before, so I knew you played it. I've never played it. I've never played it. Everyone always. I think it's funny because everyone talks about you know Zelda or um, yeah Zelda like games, games that try to do what Zelda did. Yeah. And for the most part, in my opinion, even though I understand Zelda was groundbreaking and whatever the first one, I think a lot of the games that copied it did it better. Okay. Including Crystals. Yeah. Do you have your game, Eric, in mind? Yes, I do. But it wasn't a console game. It, um, it was. It would be between two, and I've mentioned these so much time, so many times on this show, that I'm not going to go deep into them. But Ultima. the first one is Ultima Four: <laughs> Quest of the Avatar. I played that through. I spent a month playing that through, taking my time, pouring through the manual and the maps. I got so into the physical part of that game, like with all the maps and the, there was a, you know, all the goodies that came in the box. Um, I, that is still the, the quintessential RPG experience of my life. I love the tactile stuff. Yeah. Oh man. I love that game so much. And then the other one would be probably, um, auto duel, not a great game on the Commodore 64. Okay. But it's based on Steve Jackson's car wars, like the RPG. And it is, it was so, I loved it as a kid. I tried to go back and play it and it's doesn't really hold up that well, but I did beat it. So I beat Ultima four and auto duel. And I loved playing those back in the day. So those would be my two picks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I am very passionate about this pick. Okay. And my pick is coming up right after I tell you about RetroRewind.ca. Wow! You Hop cliff- on down to RetroRewind.ca. That's a cliffhanger. <laughs> Your place for everything Commodore and Tandy Co- Color Computer, Tandy Coco related. That's right. You got a Commodore 64? I don't know. Double that. A Commodore 128? Yep. Frank's got you covered. Hey, let's go ahead and cut it into quarters. Commodore 16 or even do it again. The Commodore Plus 4. That's right. There's a weird mapping going on with the Commodores. I yeah. just realized that. Um you can get parts for those machines and the Amiga line of computers over at RetroRewind.ca forward slash Pixel Guide In, if you will. Yep. And what am I wearing today? You are wearing the best looking Retro Rewind shirt I have ever seen, Eric. Yeah. This is a black Retro Rewind shirt. It says Retro Rewind. Simple logo. Beautiful logo. I think it's stark and uh, eye-grabbing. Absolutely. And we like to choose a few items to talk about every time. But you know what I'm going to talk about this time, Eric, specifically, yeah. is what I have in my shopping cart that I'm about to buy. Yeah, because I I'll see just tell everybody you right have now. a big, fat... I do have a big, fat shopping cart full of stuff. So the main thing I am buying, uh, I have like 12 Commodores I picked up a long time ago. Yeah. And I'm going to start cobbling a few more, trying to see if I can get one or two more up and running yeah. out of all these parts. So I'm going to pick up my C64 or C128 diagnostic harness. Uh, it has all the cartridges and little things you pop in all the slots in the back of your Commodore 64 so that you can run the diagnostic cart and it will tell you what exactly is wrong with your Commodore 64. However, um, first of all, it's a really good looking kit. We talk about that a lot, but it's a nice uh, white and blue um I don't know what else. You go on, go on RetroRewind.ca and take a look. You'll see what I'm talking about. All of this cartridge have a great look to them, including the other item I have on my list, which is the Commodore 64 diagnostic cart. But, Eric, I didn't just get a diagnostic cart. No, you didn't. <laughs> what else did you get? I was, I was like, do I get the, the standard diagnostic cart? 
do I go ahead and get the cool double-sided one, which is the dual diag, Yeah, I think is, is what it's called, which has, uh, you know, your standard dead test cart as well as the diagnostic cart. Uh, double-ended, so each side does a different thing. Yeah. But no, I'm gonna, I took it a step further. I'm doing the four-in-one diagnostic cart, which is double-ended plus has a button to swap the ROMs. So it's actually four ROMs in one cartridge. <laughs> How cool is that? That is um, really cool. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm paying a few extra dollars to get the other two, even though I don't think I'll ever need them. But uh, it also adds the 1541 diagnostic, so you can test your 1541 drives. Yeah, you, you'll need that. <laughs> and Well, if I feel like fixing those, yeah. Yeah. I have lots of them. And the STID dead test. I'm not going to lie, Eric, I don't know what the STID is, but... STID? I don't know what that means. I know what an STD is, but I don't know what the STID <laughs> yeah. is. You don't want... I, I, it sounds like you don't want either one. <laughs> well, if it says I've got an STD in my cart then i i know to throw that one out um i'm also picking up of course one of the uh the little paper uh what is it called the the paper the little guys that go in my 1541 drive the transit card transit card thank Sweet. you to keep it protected you know for one dollar why not throw that in there yep. and i'm picking up a 6309 um processor to upgrade my tandy color computer 3 yeah so i can play all the games it's something I've been meaning to do for a long time. I'm also picking up uh, the new recreation of the PLA. They make a digital, a new digital PLA, which is part of your Commodore 64. Right. If your PLA goes bad, you have to go buy another original PLA somewhere. Or for $17, you can go to RetroRewind.ca and buy one on here. I'm getting all that stuff. Uh, excited to start putting some more Commodores back together. So thank you, Frank. And thank you for allowing me to use code PG10. PG10. As in Pixel Gaiden 10 on checkout to save 10%, and all of our Pixel Gaiden listeners can do the same. Can't they, Eric? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Beautiful. So now, answer Josh's question. Oh my gosh, I know you guys have been waiting on the end of your seat to hear the passion I have have behind this 8-bit RPG, which is my favorite. And I'll be honest, there's two, because I can't pick one. Yeah, I picked two, so you're, you're allowed. I guess that's true. Mine are both very similar. They are on the TurboGrafx-16, okay. and it is Newtopia and Newtopia 2. Those are good. Oh, my gosh. So I always talk about how the, the TurboGrafx has this like silky, smooth, chunky, sprite feel. I don't right. know how to explain it. Yep. And Newtopia is no different. Um, it is like playing Legend of Zelda but without kind of the frustrating bits, but silky smooth, and it... Um, you know, you don't have to walk around attacking every bush like you do in Zelda. It kind of gets rid of that, you know, tediousness. Yeah. Uh, but big old chunky characters, gorgeous graphics, uh, decent soundtrack, and uh, it's kind of like Crystallis, but um, smoother and prettier. And the funny thing is the TurboGrafx isn't really known for its RPGs. It's That's known for its like, shoot-em-ups and arcade stuff. I, so can you save on that? Yes, absolutely. It saves to little hue cards? It it saves. I don't know how it saves. It saves. Oh. Uh, hmm. I'll have to think about that. I wonder if there's RAM inside. I think it was, it. was it password? I can't remember at this it point. Might it might have password. been a password. Might have been because I, I. That's one thing that was always a hang-up for me on the on the Tomorrow graphics was none of the games you could really save, but none gotcha. of them needed it. That I the mainstream ones. Yeah. Well, they, they worked around it because you can't. Yeah, the yeah. little key card you can't. But I bet it was put a, a battery on it. I bet it was a password. I think it was a password save. Anyways, cool. Newtopia, very highly rated. Actually, probably some of my favorite eight-bit games ever. To be honest. Yeah. Um, thank you, Josh. Good questions. We got two more yeah. quick questions that we'll do next episode yes 87 uh but until then let's go ahead and hear it tim has to say hey guys how about we take a little break check with our friend over the pond that's right it's tea time with tim 
Greetings, wonderful podcast listeners, and welcome to this month's Tea Time with Tim on the Pixel Guiden podcast. On this month's Tea Time with Tim, we're going to be talking about the Medusa Scan Doubler from Lotherex. So this month I was sat thinking about what I was going to do for Tea Time with Tim this month when I had an SMS message come up on my phone. I looked at it and it was from my very good friend Gary. You may remember Gary, I've mentioned him a few times before on the podcast. I've met him through RMC and happens to live locally. We've gotten to know each other really well over the last few years and as often as our busy schedules let us, we meet up and go to events or just pop round to each other's places um, to discuss our latest pickups and play some games. So taking a look at the SMS, I can see a photo of a sleek, small black metal box with a small LCD display on it curious i thought i wonder what this is so then reading the message that gary wrote he said i just had two medusa retro scan doublers turned up i ordered one for me and another one in case you wanted one ages ago as there was a big waiting list for them now wow that's a real friend right there so not knowing anything about this uh, Medusa scan doubler thingy-me-bob, um, I looked up on the internet and found out a little bit more about it. So it turns out the Medusa is a device for scan doubling that helps with connecting a myriad of different retro systems that have many different connections all through one box. Now, I know there are many other devices out there for this, like the FrameMeister, OSSC and the RetroTink range of devices. This one has been created over the course of about six years by two people called AcidMaker, which is the creator of the SIO to SD, and Lotharek, who is from Poland and runs a website Lotharek's Lair. If you don't know this site, they are well known in the Atari ST scene and are the creators of many different revisions of the HXC SD floppy drive emulators, amongst many other things. The site is a real rabbit hole and you can get stuck on there reading about lots of different cool devices. Anyways, let's get back to the Medusa. Here are some of the details from the Medusa wiki page and you can find that at medusa sc Org. So first up, they write a little bit about the history. When the first home computers appeared, people didn't have special computer monitors in their homes, but almost everybody had a standard TV set. This is why the first home computers, such as the ZX Spectrum, Atari and Commodore, were designed to be connected to standard TV sets. In these times, there were different colour encoding standards, mainly NTSC, PAL and CCAM. Main differences between those standards were screen refresh rates, 60 frames per second for NTSC and 50 frames per second for PAL and CCAM, and a way of colour signal encoding. But one thing was common, the horizontal refresh rate at about 15 kHz in all standards. So next they talk about a solution to connect all these different standards. They write, the first problem to solve is decoding PAL or NTSC signal. Some old computers don't have RGP output. To achieve that, Medusa uses specialised video decoder, an integrated circuit created by analogue devices, that can sample and decode SD signal, that's standard display signal t TV type, from PAL, NTSC or even CCAM. 
The second problem is to find the exact pixel clock for the input signal, for RGB signals. There are no ultimate solution for this. In Medusa, you can always manually define the number of pixels per line. But to achieve that more automatically, we measure a specific signal or fingerprint based on the synchro signals and pick from dozens of available preset options. That's just a little bit about the device that they write on their wiki. Uh, so there are more details that if you want to go and read all about it. I think we get the idea that the issue that we have is that when all of our retro systems were created, there was no one single standard, kind of like we have now with HDMI. Different regions of the world use different systems with different refresh rates. Trying to get one device to decode them and then get them to all output onto different modern displays we use is a big challenge. And this is what Medusa is setting out to do. So why have I been tempted with the Medusa? Apart from Gary being an awesome friend and sourcing one for me, for me in the first place, I already have one of the better solutions on the market, which is the OSSC, or the Open Source Scan Converter. The limitation with this device it clearly is addressed with the Medusa, and this is what they write on the wiki. OSSC, also a very good device, but without composite video and S-video inputs. Only good for RGB signals and tough to configure. Yep, so that's the killer with the OSSC for me. No composite or S-video support. Now, you think I live in the UK and everything is SCART, and that's not an issue. However, my main systems that I use are the Commodore range of computers. These lack an RGB signal that is required to work with the OSSC. So for me, it's so important that the Medusa will just almost accept anything with a composite signal that you can throw at it. Especially things like the C64, the C128, and of course the system that is most difficult to get any kind of display out of is the N64 with its foggy and blurry output through composite that is so hard to get working on anything but a CRT from back in the day. So let's look at some of the technical features of the Medusa. Again, this is coming from their very useful wiki site. So number one on the list is obviously that it'll accept uh, CVBS or composite video signal through SCART. The second is that it accepts S-video signal again on through the SCART. It will accept an RGB signal on SCART or VGA input. Uh, with more than 50 predefined settings for popular old computers. It can not only work with the Atari ST monitor, but also the Viking card emulated by MIST. It can also encode audio on DVI. This option can be switched on and uh, it can also be switched out. There are also uh, 3.5mm jacks, uh, which enable you to put into in audio and also output the audio. It also allows you to change a lot of the settings on the fly using the OSD um, or the built-in OLED display, such as contrast, brightness, X and Y picture shift, etc. Output signal analog and digital at the same time on DVI, so it can be connected to both old VGA monitors, also CRTs, as well as modern HDMIs or TVs. And they also say it's very easy to update the firmware. I've not experienced that one yet. So based on all this, I'm looking seriously to purchase the spare Medusa from Gary. Um, however, there's some major considerations that I have to make. 
The reason for getting the OSSC in the first place was that I needed to run the Sharp X68000, because this is a very demanding system with three different display modes going down to 15kHz and up to 24 and straight up to 31kHz. So finding a monitor to deal, with, to deal with that is an absolute nightmare. So this is where the OSSC can help by decoding these modes and outputting to different types of monitors. So with all that said, I think uh, I'm going to be influenced really by two things. The first is going to be the support of the composite video that the OSSC does not have, and also if it supports the Sharp. Not only will this be super cool to have one box to rule them all, but I can also sell off the OSSC to part from the Medusa. They're not cheap. Uh, I think they're running at around about £170 before shipping. So with all this to consider, along with the thought of getting something really new and shiny to play with, I arrange a trip over to see Gary, and we're going to go and put the Medusa through its paces by connecting up some of the retro systems that he has to the Medusa. Uh, try and also including the Sharp X68000 and see what the results are. Just a quick note, I had a few items that I had acquired over the last few months for Gary, and each time I meet up with him, I seem to keep forgetting to take them with me. This time, I did, and one of those items was a brand spanking new copy of the amazing Rogue 64 from Badger Punch Software. If you've not seen Rogue 64, I would recommend you go and check it out. You can get the digital version from their itch site for just a few bucks. On arriving over at Gary's place, we exchanged the usual hellos and caught up a bit, opened up a beer and got down to testing the Medusa. So first up, I had a look over the device. So let's just give you a quick description of it. It's about 27 centimetres, that's almost 7 inches wide, uh, 9 centimetres, that's almost 3.5 inches deep, an inch deep and about an inch and a half high. On top of the black metal case, on the right hand side, there's a small LCD display, about an inch by an inch by half an inch, and a standard SCART socket mounted on the left hand side. On the front, there is a status light that changes colours depending on the connection modes. Three control buttons to control the menu on the display. On the back, on the, from left to right, you have a power on off switch. USB socket, similar to the uh, Raspberry Pi power socket, and I use a Rye Pi power supply just to power it just fine. The DVI output, two 3.5mm headphone sockets, one for audio in and another one for audio out, and of course a VGA input as well. So once we'd had a quick look over and uh, managed to find all the different various cables that we were going to need to power the device and connect up, the first thing we wanted to try was a recent pickup of Gary's, which was an Atari 800XL. This is the PAL version. Um, he had required it from uh, someone quite recently, and it also came with one of the wonderful FujiNet devices. Knowing this would have a standard video signal akin to the C64, this would be a good first test and something simple to set up. Gary has a nice uh, gateway SVGA CRT monitor that we were going to put everything through. So this was all going to be using a VGA to DVI cable into the Medusa from the monitor. We also used a SCART to phono socket adapter and a standard Atari uh, DIN video out cable to three phonos, one for video and the others for audio. So on first power up of the 800XL, the Medusa power 
brought the picture up the first time. Uh, the picture was nice and clear. However, it was slightly offset to one side. As we were not yet familiar with the Medusa settings and the menus, we just left it with the slight offset to start off with. Gary also connected up a set of speakers from the to the audio output, and this performed well. We were looking for the fantastic Turbo Snail game that I picked um, in in the past for one of the Six Good Games features, but none of the sites programmed into the FujiNet had a homebrew section, so we ended up just playing some Galaxians, and that was good fun. So the next system up from the Atari, we set up the Commodore 64 Breadbin. Um, this is one that I refurbished and supplied to Gary not too long ago. So this was set up and of course there was only one thing to play and that was the brand spanking new copy of Rogue 64. Gary was hooked on this game and we spent a bit too long playing this one. However, the Medusa displayed a good, solid, clear and bright display from the C64, even though it's just using standard composite connection and not the Chroma Luma connection that you could also use through the Medusa with the S-Video option. Next up, we went for a console. Looking on the shelves behind Gary, there was a lovely Nintendo Famicom, like the one that Cody recently sent to me, had been modded to use a composite connection. So another good test. Gary has a great collection of physical boxed carts for the Famicom, so we connected this up. First, we threw on Mighty Bomb Jack. On power-up, we could clearly see the screen. However, the colours looked a little washed out and there was a lot of banding on the screen, almost to the point of making it unplayable because of the side scrolling in the game. Next we tried Ghostbusters. This is very close to the C64 version. So on the title screen on Power Up it has a title screen with a black background and the Ghostbusters logo. We could see the text was not very clear on the black background with the white text. So the Famicom was not looking so good. We did give it a try with another cable, and again, it did the same thing. We wanted to try it out some more, so Gary does not have one of the Western versions of the Famicom, the NES. Instead, he has the Sharp Famicom Twin. This is a red console that has both the cartridge and the disk drive built in. It also comes with a composite connection built in, just like the Western NES consoles. Once we plug this in and tested it, it was much better. So I think that narrows down the issue more to the mod carried out on the Famicom. I will give mine a try, the one that Cody sent over for comparison, but I've not got round to that yet. Next up was a suggestion that we try out an N64. However, much to my surprise, Gary does not actually have an N64, so that one was out. We were thinking about trying the Sharp, but it was getting quite late by that time, and as it was a work night, it was time to head home. 
Gary has very kindly loaned me his, the spare Medusa so I can run some tests on my own. So at the time of recording, it's only been a couple of days since I've actually had the Medusa and we happen to be going through one of the biggest heat waves seen in England for a long time. So I've not had a lot of time and the cool temperatures to be up in the loft space where all my retro kit is located. However, I did try out the Sharp 68000 using the SCART connection onto my Dell monitor using a DVI to DVI cable, and I'm afraid it did not work. But just before recording, Gary has sent some uh, pictures to me showing me that he's been able to get it to work using his VGA cable. So that's given some positive results. So it's looking like I may have to invest in the Medusa after all. In the time I've had it so far, I've tried a couple of consoles. Um, most impressive so far, however, has been the way it performed with the N64, just using the composite connection on my digital display. I've also run up the C64, the PlayStation and the 3DO and they all performed well. I'm no expert and I'm sure to a well-trained eye they may not look 100% authentic. But what is for sure is it's winning hands down over the OSSC because of how many consoles and home computers I can connect to it with either just a basic composite SCART or the Phono and RCA jack connection and I get a usable display. So that is a winner in my book. I have not tried the Amiga, the Atari ST or the ZX Spectrum and these are well known to work with the Medusa as they are RGB and I can also get these to run through the OSSC without any issues. So that's where I am with my journey so far with the Medusa. I think it's going to be a purchase for me with a view to hooking up the X68000 through VGA once I've invested in the correct cable. So if anyone's in the market for an OSSC, please let me know. I might have one for sale. Well, that's it for this episode. Enjoy some gaming and try to stay cool, everyone. Bye for now. You can get show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash amigos podcast you can reach us on twitter using at pixel underscore guiden you can reach eric at the project that's at d-u-h-p-r-o-j-e-c-t and you can reach cody at oddball which is at o-d-d-b-a-1149 you can also reach me that's tim at Sanxion, and that's at S-A-N-X-I-O-N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com and we'd love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. 
If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows, such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And this month we're giving it some flower power. A panicky Henrik Lopal, vivacious Roy Fielding, beautiful Matthew Ackerman, and the modern Josh Malone, determined Brian Arsenal, the dangerous Daniel James. Adorable Ten Mark and the fancy Eric Sandgren, the stern Ram okay, Ram okay, right back to game and nation. Motionless marches, now ski, the nervous paradroid. Pixel Guiding, talking battle video games, talking into microphones. Talking to each other And welcome to Cody's Corner for this month. I wanted to quickly go ahead uh, and talk about some of the turn-ons and turn-offs I have when I am looking at a new video game to play. Now, this could um, be an, a, a modern, you know, retro title, an indie game. It could be a new title. But we're talking about new games that are coming out, the way they are made today, and the way they are marketed today. And uh, it's not necessarily to prove any points or um, anything like that. I guess it's more just kind of my opinion. Some of them you might relate to, some of them you might disagree with, and that's all fine. Uh, but I think it's, it's interesting that there's a lot of things that happen uh, nowadays. I think um, that I see trends, and sometimes they're trends I love, and sometimes they're trends I'm like, why is that a thing? And I'm curious anybody, if anybody else... Uh, you know, had similar experiences. Um, so these are kind of all over the board. I'm just going to scatter shot this stuff and, uh, and and start going through them. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. I'm not particularly here to talk about the style of games I like. Everyone knows I'm kind of not a fan of 
uh, 2D fighting games and things like that, but more just um, specifics about the game or the the way they're marketed. Um, So first of all, I want to just point out, I enjoy original games. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I don't like sequels, because if it's a good original game, I think of uh, Guacamelee, they came out with Guacamelee 2, which I was so excited for, and they kept the same formula, and they just kind of added a few extra things to it and really played with that and the level of design brilliant example of an original game and an original game sequel that I loved. Um, I don't care for major licenses. Um, <clears throat> sometimes they're fun when they're, they're small licenses. Um, you know, but for example, I lo- a lot of people love Star Wars games and everything that comes out Star Wars they have to look at. I see Star Wars and I'm not saying I don't look into them or want to play some of them, but you know, when I hear Star Wars, my first reaction is, well, let's see what else is going on first. Um, don't need another Star Wars game. Um, I also enjoy games that are uh, f- fairly simple in, in in their gameplay, or at least simple to start with, and the gameplay kind of builds on that. A lot of games now come out with a ton of systems. Every button on these crazy new controllers is being used, um, and you have to learn it all up front, which requires tutorials and things like that. I want a game that, you know, I start walking around, I press A to jump over boxes, and then as I'm playing, the game leads me to learn new things and kind of leads you to figure out things as you go. Uh, Essentially, being a tutorial while you play the game, if if you will. Um, You know, Super Metroid's a great example of that, and I've played a number of games that have been good at that lately as well, but also a lot of games where you're playing a tutorial for two hours, I don't have time for that. I can't get into that. Um, for me, don't do that. <laughs> um, if I hear the word procedurally generated, I'm typically going to turn the other way unless I'm really drawn in by some of the gameplay. Um, procedurally generated usually ends up being kind of a... I don't want to say it's a lazy way to make a game because I don't know how to make a game, but I've noticed people who make levels specifically, they're typically more well thought out, more interesting um, and I kind of, uh, I see that as a, a slight negative, I, su- I suppose I could say that. Um, when I hear the name, this is another negative, but a positive on the opposite side of it. When I see a, 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 a advertisement saying, you know, check out this new crazy awesome game. It does this, this, and this with over 80, ga- you know, 80 hours of gameplay. Oh, please. I don't have 80 hours of game. If I wish they would actually advertise, every game should advertise the length, uh, in my opinion. I think it might draw more people to certain games. If I see a game that looks good, turn-based RPG, you know, a lot of times they're longer, but if you said turn, t- turn-based RPG with, you know, um, 10 to 25 hours of gameplay, I go, okay, so if I really wanted to burn through it, I could do it in 10 hours. If I want to go through and take my time, I really love it, maybe 20, 25, I could do that. I, I can enjoy a game that long and uh, do it in my time and get to another game eventually, and that's perfect for me. So, um I guess that's kind of two points. One is advertise the length of your game, and two, um, for me, you know, again, if you're making a game for me, don't make it too long. I don't need, uh, you know, if a game has that much gameplay in it, it's really got to be mind blowing for me to keep wanting to play. Uh, a good example would be the even the new Legend of Zelda. Not I say new; it's five years old now, right? But for the Switch, what's it called? I can't remember the name of that Zelda game that came out. Um, Oh my goodness, that's embarrassing. Anyways, th- that new Zelda game, the 3D Zelda game on the Switch that everyone just raves about, I got about 30 hours in and I'm just, I'm done. I, I can't keep doing it. It's the same thing kind of over and over again. Yeah, you work your way through it, but 
I kind of burnt out on it. So, um, as far as style goes, and this is going to be the retro influence in me, but yes, I love D makes. If you, um, even if you take like a major license, um, or in this case, not a major license, but recently, uh, way forward made a game called the mummy D master. They even put D in, in the title, which is, you know, showing that as a D make, they took the new, like sci-fi fantasy thriller, the mummy, and D made it into a like a 16-bit side-scrolling Metroidvania-style action game. Great game, really cool concept. Um, and there's other games like that. Um, for example, Dead Space. They came out with like a, a side-scrolling Dead Space. They um, trying to think of more examples, but I love when they do that. D makes are awesome. If you take a a game that is a major game and kind of make a simplified classic style video game version of it i'm i'm on board uh uh what is it dead void is it dead void did that re- did that at well it's not recently now eight years ago or so very cool um concept um as far as themes there's themes that i gravitate to and gr- themes that again push me away um this is just me personally but i'm a fantasy guy over sci-fi so if you put a sci-fi game out there I'm really going to have to be drawn in by other factors. Fantasy game, you've got me hooking and, you know, bait and hooked, whatever you want to call it. Um, but also, uh, underwater, any game that's underwater just clicks with me. Um, whereas, if you mention that the game has ties to time travel, that usually is not, <laughs> that is the opposite effect on me. I, I want to see more about the game. Um, time travel is a kind of a turnoff, so I have to I have to like other aspects of the game before I'm going to jump into any game that involves time travel. Um, you know, some classic video game tropes, you know, uh, that I do like. I think maybe it's just because it's warm and fuzzy and it makes you think of easier levels. Uh, you know, forest levels, castle levels. Um, you don't see planes very often. You'd think that more games would be able to find more um, atmospheres or biomes, you know, uh, the dystopian city being one or... or uh, you know, some ones I don't care for as much. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like ice levels because they usually add some slippy surface that just kind of changes all the physics of the game and makes it hard, unnecessarily hard and not fun. Um, lava levels as well. You, you know, it's always a lava level. What are we going to do with this lava level? Level? Well, we're going to have, you know, blocks that disappear into the lava and we're going to have volcanoes shooting things at you. Um, kind of played out in, you know, you rarely find the lava level being your favorite level of a game. Um, here's an interesting one and this is one that's really gotten to me lately I will look at a game you know you don't see too many demos anymore you usually watch the trailer and most games when they come out will give you like these cutscenes and these like uh, uh, action I don't know how to like theatrical uh, views of of the subject matter of the game or the storyline and you'll watch three minutes of it and see literally no gameplay. And I'm like, I'm here to play the game. Please show me the gameplay. <laughs> like, great, you've come up with this story and this concept and this world, or you've stolen the world from you know from a license and you're just showing how exciting this new adventure could be uh, as far as the story goes. I need to see the gameplay. I'm going to be the one buying the game to play the game. Show me the darn gameplay. I can't stand it. I can't stand having to fast forward to, through two minutes of cutscenes to get to like 10, 15 seconds of gameplay and then they shut it off and say, you know, coming fall 2023 or whatever. Show me the gameplay. Please, please, please. Um, 
a couple other things uh, that kind of relate to that. Inside of a game, we talk, Eric and I talk about this a lot. Um, I love story in games, but I don't want to get spoon-fed story by not playing and watching video cutscenes, having to read large amounts. Um, give it to me while I'm playing the game. Like, while I'm playing the game, have characters say things, short interactions. Um, on that note, this is going to be... I've mentioned this before on the show, but when my character... Uh, is interacting with things, I don't want to hear my character speak. Um, it takes me out of it. Uh, actually, I typically don't like to see to hear any of the characters speak, uh, for the most part, depending on the game. But if I've, I was talking about this example. Sam and Max is one of my favorite LucasArts uh, point-and-click adventure, one of my favorite games of all time. If you have the option to, well, you typically you do have the option to, if you play that game, turn the audio off and just read the game like it's a comic they're short snippets you know you click on this you read the short snippet you laugh you click on this read the short snippet laugh move over there pick up the cheese feed it to the mouse watch what happens when you read it like that your you know your mind creates the voices and everything and reads it the way that you find hilarious when voice actors do it they rarely sound as good as what you create in your head and i just i think most games really should be um you know, point and click specifically, but a lot of the a lot of games should just be read. Um, <coughs> sound effects, atmospheric music, things like that are great, but the voiceovers typically take me out of the game. Um, I love games that are turn based. I love games that uh, I have a, I have trouble with real time strategy because I want to be able to think things out. That's just a personal quirk. Um, when I see games that are isometric, just that viewpoint. I've associated so much of that viewpoint with games I don't like that when I see isometric, I, again, uh, typically throw it to the side and um, <laughs> kind of have to be talked into the game or have to see more information or have other things about it that, that intrigue me. Um, same when, when, when they talk about a game and they focus on multiplayer. A lot of games have online, specifically online multiplayer. Now, I love online multiplayer as a concept. I love... The very few times I'm able to actually do that and play it with friends, but just to me, I don't play games that way. I can't find people I know that way, and I don't want to play with random people online um, and kids screaming under microphones and saying awful things to me. Uh, what I do want are experiences based with couch co-op in mind. I love to, you know, and it's a lost art. You're seeing more and more of it. Uh, earlier this year, my daughter and I played It Takes Two, a game that is made 100% to be couch co-op, which was a really cool experience. Um, not saying I specifically want just couch co-op, but games that can do both. And then, of course, that could be also multiplayer online, uh, you know, in theory as well. But um, I'm not going to play multiplayer-only games. Um, games that are... Well, <laughs> you don't hear as much anymore, but everything was talking about how it's Souls-like difficulty. And Souls-like games... Like, I do enjoy difficult games... I love old NES hard games as long as they're fair. Um, but I played a couple of Souls games, and even Hollow Knight, which kind of takes on a, a Souls-like, a Dark Souls-like style gameplay where if you die in a level, you have to like work your way back to where you died to get your stuff back. And so it almost when you die, it almost gets harder. I don't find that as a um, a game loop that I find rewarding. I find it frustrating and upsetting, and I do like games that are hard that have save points so that I can fail until I beat something. And once I get to a save point, I can now work on the next difficult thing. Uh, I think of games like Castlevania, um, 
you know, obviously a lot of different games, but um, even games like Metroid and stuff where the save points all over, you can save where and when you want, but to get to certain parts, you have to get through a difficult section, and then you can go back and save. Something like that, um, I really enjoy. I like difficult games. I don't like Souls-like um, style games. Um, I love games that are, and you see a lot more of this now, but games that are made to work on original hardware. And what's cool is a lot of times these games uh, just play at Allah's Awakening, which is a game that is absolutely playable on an actual NES, Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, love that. It wasn't inspired by or made to look like the NES. It is an actual NES game. But of course, they package it to be able to play it on the Switch, on Steam, on Xbox, all these other things. Um, but that's a big plus for me. Original hardware, even if it's a game that I wouldn't think twice about otherwise, if I know it's an original hardware game that can be played on real hardware, I'm going to... Uh, give it you know extra kudos and more excitement points in my mind uh and i'm gonna buy it on real hardware so if you make a game like that i also would really very much like for you to release the um not just a million dollar you know version you release 100 cartridges for the original hardware do that that's fine make your money uh, make your collectibles i get it do that please but a year or two later after that run is done um i want to buy the rom file um, I understand that, that people are afraid of it getting taken and, and you know, whatever. I totally get it, but um, I, I will absolutely buy the ROM file. I want to put it on my EverDrive um, and, and play it on my real hardware, and I will wait to do so. So please do that. Um, games that are uh, filled with upgrade trees and... Um, you know, they have RPG-like elements where you can choose, you get points, and you can apply those points to things and upgrade certain things and play the game in different ways depending on how you upgrade things. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And I think a lot of games can integrate that. So if you take a game that has simple gameplay and fun gameplay and integrate that, uh, I'm three times as happy to play that game. Um, I love playing something and trying to, you know, games that involve skill, they still need to have skill. I don't want a game where uh, you can simply just um, stay on the first level and upgrade everything till it's maxed out and then play the game like it was nothing. Um, but I love upgrade trees and creating different combinations of up- upgrades to create your own kind of strategy of how you want to play through the game. That is awesome. Um, something I noticed in a lot of new games that I do not care for is, um, I'm going to call it Item Decay. Uh, again, going back to uh, Breath of the Wild. Thank you, Cody, thought of it. Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um... <laughs> on the Switch, that you know, a lot. Some people complain about it a lot. Some people are like, it's not that big of a deal. Stop complaining. But I don't want to find a really cool sword just to have it break on me right away. Um, I was playing a game called Subnautica, getting really into it. It's an underwater game where you're collecting things and um, crafting new items and creating new technologies and building things. And I started building this cool underwater base. And all of a sudden, the base starts breaking apart. Water fills the base. I can no longer use the base. And then I'm, I'm looking up online, like, what's going on? How do I fix this? And I have to go find all these minerals and things I've never even found yet to, like, strengthen the base so it won't do that. It's like, gosh darn it. Like, I don't, just don't even let me build it unless I have everything I need to, to make it work. I don't want to deal with this. It stopped me from playing the game. I'm done at this point. Really cool game. Really wanted to play in more. Um... But anything in the game that is going to take what you've done 
and pull you backwards just for the sake of quote unquote adding gameplay. Not fun. Don't like it. I think it goes into that Souls-like difficulty thing as well. So that's it for Cody's Corner this month. Thank you for listening, and I'll check you guys out next month. Aw, what happened to your pants? What did happen to your pants, Eric? They're gone. (laughs) What happened? The evil gnome is back. It's it's been far too long. It has been. But, Doug, I mean, the evil gnome has returned. Yes. Eric, what is that frosty glass doing in front of you? It's ready for beer. It's ready to accept. Accept beer. And you know when beer starts flowing, it's almost time to get into the news. So let's see what we got here. Okay. This is a limited release. Day shoots. This is called Twilight. Day shoots. It is uh, from Bend, Oregon. Uh, Day shoots is a pretty popular brewery around here in the California zone. Um, But this one, I believe, is a... What is this? It is a Twilight. Limited release Twilight. Yeah. What type of beer is summer it? ale? Summer ale, okay. Back in the last light of this crisp and easy drinking summer ale. So if it's twilight, is it about vampires in love? It could be. Remember when that was like the big thing? I do. I I've do. never actually seen one of those. I just remember the actress and I've how never, she had the same expression in every movie. Yeah, I've never seen the. <clears throat> I've never seen them at all. But I see little commercials pop up here and there for them, and I always wonder. You know, you kind of wonder about those things if they're any good, but I don't see how that that one could possibly be good. Yeah. But uh, it was about the the kind of weird um, thin vampire cute guy, yeah. or the muscular wolf cute guy. Exactly, but that thin, sure. thin vampire guy became Batman, so that's pretty cool. Oh, was it? Oh, okay, that's the dude that became Batman, the latest Batman. So, well, on that note, Eric, yeah. cheers, my friends. All right, probably shouldn't talk about pop culture. Probably not the best people to talk about pop culture, are we? Sure we are, because this is retro and retro-inspired, so... True. If we are just completely oblivious to pop culture, that means we're stuck in retro. Now, that's got some flavor. Yeah, but it's light. It is It is light, but uh, for a summer ale, it's got a lot of uh, hop characteristics. Pretty good. It is pretty good. Yeah, it's kind of a um, golden copper kind of a color. And it says on the bottle, it says, hey, there might be some sediment in the bottle, so pour yeah, it carefully. Yeah, it's not hazy, but you can't see through it. That's right. It's good. It is good. Very flavorful. Got a, a medium-bodied head on the top. But it doesn't go into that realm of, like, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale where it gets too Correct. hoppy. It's it's not too hoppy, but it's got just enough. Yeah, I, feel, I would say if you like Sierra pay, uh, Pale Ale, but you want an easy drinking summer beer. Yeah. This is it. This is it. So because Not it's bad. Twilight, are we going to rate this out of uh, 39 vampires? <laughs> 39 vampire uh, with their shirt off. Angsty teenage vampires. Angsty teenage vampires with their shirt off. I'm going to give this... Out of 39. Out of 39? Yeah. I just pulled that number Oh, up. I thought it was 30. Okay, 39. I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it... It's good. I'm going to give it 32 angsty teenage vampires with their shirt off. I think I'm right there. I think I'm with you. That's the number I was thinking. 32. Cheers. Cheers. Boom. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, on with the show. Reporting the news! And the first item that we wanted to touch on in the news, um, I have a link here in the show notes for most of this stuff, as, as many of you guys know, but there is a new collection 
of Atari games available 100 150 to be exact. I'm trying to get the game, uh, everything up here. 150 micro games collection. Atari Mania announced for the Switch, PC, and Eric, a new release for the Atari VCS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so anyways, here's the picture here. I don't know if you've heard of this one yet or not. I heard it in passing, it. so I didn't hear much about it, but I would like to learn more. Uh, so apparently a collection of 150 micro games incorporating Atari classics from 1970s and 80s will launch this summer in celebration of Atari's 50th anniversary. Um, here's an overview of the game art. I'm trying to see. So here's kind of what's neat about this. A lot of the games, if you kind of look at it, uh, so they have manic mashups over 150 micro games inspired by the breadth of Atari's death-spanning catalog from Asteroids to Yars Revenge. Um, fight back centipede with a pong paddle. While the iconic adventure dragon hunts you down. It's wow. crossover madness, Eric, in the best way possible. So I've got some scr- still shots here on the screen. This looks like uh, combat, like the jet fighting. Yeah, but the, with updated graphics, for sure. It's not just the uh, your, your typical, you know, whatever it is, 64 by 64 pixel screen from the original Atari. Um, and it looks like everything's integrated. There's a caretaker here who does look like original Atari gla- graphics to a point. And you're, I guess you're going through this top-down world and... and kind of having to play versions of these games kind of all mashed up into one game. It's, yeah. not, it's not like you're just playing a bunch of <laughs> old Atari games again. Um, <clears throat> exactly for the hundredth time you've purchased them in some way. Yeah. So looking at still shots, though, I would have to say, even though obviously the graphics are much more modernized and you know ships actually look like ships and mushrooms actually look like mushrooms and centipede, it looks like bad shareware from like the 90s. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> now, gameplay is everything. So if they made it look this way, but the gameplay rules, I could see this being very cool. I love the idea. Yeah. Um, like, what's this? That looks like Manic Miner shooting centipedes, but with, like, Western cactuses involved. I don't even know what we're doing at this point. Yeah. That's kind of a cool-looking Pong game. I don't know. I'm very curious to see where this goes. It looks very interesting. You know, I, I will say, at least it's refreshing that... Atari is making a game or games. Yeah. Instead of some stupid digital currency or a hotel or you know what I mean? At least they're doing games, which is what they should have been doing all along. So that's kind of why I thought this was interesting. If it wasn't, didn't say Atari and it didn't say it was coming out for the Atari VCS, I would look past this in a heartbeat. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately the, the name Atari still means something to me and I still want something good to come out of that name. Yeah. So hopefully this is that. Cool. Um, oh, I have the second item here. And this was cool. This is very cool. I'll end up talking a lot more about this on the next episode uh, because, hint, hint, I bought it. Oh. But if you, I've been talking about this for a while, Always Awakening. Yeah. It's a game that's come out um, on, you know, a lot of the modern hardware, the Switch, Steam, I think PS4, all the new systems. But they finally released the, uh, oh, and it came out for the original Nintendo. It was, you know, a cartridge game you had to buy. Yeah. But they did what I'm always asking all developers to do, and I, I appreciate when they do, which is to actually sell the ROM so I can buy the ROM yeah. and put it on my Evercade or EverDrive, I mean. I always right. say Evercade now. EverDrive, yeah. And so I bought this ROM. It's $9.99 over at um, eldenpixels.itch.io. So it's called Elden Pixels is the name of the, uh, of the publisher. Yeah. Or developer, I'm sorry. And um, 
excellent. Well, again, I'll talk more. It's an excellent game. I'll just say that it is absolutely worth nine ninety nine. Um, one of my instantly one of my favorite games on the NES. Period. Very very good. So That's it looks like say. it's kind of like a platformer. It just is a platformer, right? It's a platformer, um, single screen platformer, Metroidvania kind of a thing. Okay. Um, very colorful. I like the palette. Yeah, it is awesome. It is awesome. And I'll leave it at that for now. Listen to the next episode if you want to hear more, but please go out and buy that for nine ninety nine. Yeah, it looks great. So <clears throat> this one, I, I, I was looking for news to talk about, and I went down this rabbit hole because I found this YouTube video about somebody reviewing this. And at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's just another cheap kind of Chinese knockoff thing, and it's, it's yeah. not even worth looking at. But what it is, and, and I titled this in our notes, Rise of the Franken Systems, because <laughs> in China, I guess what they're doing, and I just say in China because you order all these from Alibaba. Okay. But they're legit because a bunch of American YouTubers have gotten these things and really? tested them out. I'm looking at it, so I already kind of yep. know. That's why I'm already in disbelief, but okay. So here's what, and this, and it, please correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, any listener out there who finds more about this, but this, I did some research on this, and this is what I found. Some Chinese people are taking legitimate systems, Dreamcast, PS2, and I think another one, but I don't remember what it was. They're taking the actual boxes, ripping them apart, taking the motherboard out. guts out, okay. And then putting them in these 3D printed cases that have screens in them, and then also mashing the controllers into the same thing. So what you end up having is a Dreamcast, and the one we're looking at the video right now, it is a Dreamcast handheld, and it's this big, chunky thing. <laughs> but it, and it's made from a real controller, so it has a little screen on it for the VMU that goes in the a real controller and the Dreamcast real guts controller. of a real system. Yep, and the real guts. It's it's so it's it's one hundred percent, and it adds a GDMU. So really, literally, literally, you just pop in an SD card in the top of this thing, and suddenly you have the whole Dreamcast library, and it's an actual <laughs> Dreamcast. I mean, this is beyond cool that this exists. Yeah. So when I saw the price of it. You know, especially the YouTube video guy was like, oh, this is really expensive. But I calculated the current price of Dreamcasts, a controller, and a GDEMU, and then a case you put it in. It's really not that expensive. Okay. Because I think, and I, I, I might be wrong on this because it's been a while since I've watched this video, but I want to say about 450? Four, $450. Okay. About 450 Now, you know, that's a lot of money, Cody. I mean, that's a lot of money. But if you did not have a Dreamcast and you were like, well, I want a Dreamcast and look at this cool handheld, you get the screen, you get the case, the GDMU, <laughs> the Dreamcast, you get everything and it's 450 bucks. It's really cool looking. I'm not going to, I mean, I don't need a hand, I mean, I don't play handhelds really anyways. Yeah, but look at that thing. But they did an excellent job of making the shell look exactly like it should look it looks like a controller and it looks like a dreamcast yeah and it's all in one it's big and chunky but it there's something so cool about it it really is um it's and so now there's also and there's a link in the show notes if you want to pull the video up once i saw this i was like (laughs) yeah once i saw it i was like this is cool enough i mean this is really cool and i thought this is enough but as I dug deeper and went down the rabbit hole, there's a PlayStation 2 one that's handheld, and it's in kind of the shape of like a Vita. Yeah, I didn't even... Th- when I saw this, I was going to say that that's 
It just looks like a giant, chunky Vita. Oh, it is big. I didn't realize how big it was. But look how big it is. And it, but it has a real controller parts in it. All the, wow. All the joysticks and you everything. You can tell, yeah, those buttons and the, and the thumb pads. In it, that's a PlayStation 2 controller, isn't it? Yep. And it has the, an official motherboard in it. They probably pulled one out of a slim, I would think. Yeah, look how thick that is. Um, it's very thick, but it is a handheld PS2. And it looks like a giant, thick Vita is what it looks like. Yeah, and these are on Alibaba, and you order them, and like I said, it's legit. It's not a scam or anything, but I just think about all the consoles that are dying out there, like all the shells that are being... Like, because they have yes, to have but these. for what it's worth, there's a lot of PlayStation 2s. A lot of them. Yeah. And a good and, amount of Dreamcast, even. I, sure. I have a couple, and you can still buy them for 40 bucks or yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel too bad about those particular systems. But. Yeah, but even the PS2 has the built-in uh, hack so that you can just scroll through the the games. Now, the PS2 one uh, does use the technology where it's using the memory card to load the games. Oh, okay. So and, I see it sticking out the top there. And and that is... Or, I'm sorry, not the memory card, but a U, the USB port. Mm-hmm. It does stutter on music and stuff because it's not as fast as the internal yep, drive. Yep, right. Okay. The Dreamcast doesn't do that. The Dreamcast is beautiful because I saw him testing it. The PS2 does have those limitations, but it's still a portable PS2 that's completely 100% compatible because it is a PS2. This one's not as impressive as the Dreamcast. I but, agree. I agree. But it is still cool knowing that's actual PS2 hardware in there. But I wonder what else they're going to do. Like these ingenious people somewhere in the depths of China are like hacking systems and making 3D printed cases and putting them in there. Wouldn't it be cool? The PC engine is so small. And, you know, there was a Turbo Duo the, oh, yeah, or, or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, the, the little hand. Is that what it was called? It the was Turbo called Duo? the Turbo Express. Turbo Express. That's right. In America. In America. That's right. I would absolutely love to have a handheld Turbo Graphics. <laughs> um, like, because based on my PC engine, and, the, you know, the motherboard is only like this. I was going to say, it's fun. You can pretty, I mean, if you're going to sit there and hack apart an original console anyways. Yeah. You could pretty much just take that original PC engine. Yeah. Put the buttons in the front and put a screen on the top and be like, there you go. <laughs> like, yeah. it's already pretty darn small. And then just is. have an embedded uh, Turbo uh, Evercade or Evercade. I said it again. Yep, Everdrive. Everdrive. Yep. Turbo Everdrive. Every game. Boom. Handheld. That would be my ideal handheld system. Although we got to be careful because if they put an EverDrive in there, it'd be a Chinese knockoff of an EverDrive. That's true. Just that's like true. I'm sure that's a Chinese knockoff of the the DG, what is it, Emu or whatever it's called. Yeah. The Dreamcast, yeah. yeah. But um, Speaking of that, actually, yeah. that's a good little segue. Yeah. I just wanted to point out, this isn't even news. Again, this is not a news item per, per se, but it's news to me, Eric, which is, um, it's not even news. It's a reminder. Yeah. Um, if you have... Any of this cool new tech, for example, all these cool EverDrives we're talking about from Crix yeah. in the Ukraine, which who, by the way, this is news, still producing those things over in the Ukraine in the middle of war. In the middle of war, he's still cranking them out. I Insane. saw I saw his tweets on it. I was like, this dude is, uh, he's a warrior. Between the pandemic and ship shortages and war, like bombs dropping, like the, yeah. he had to move. He, he moved yeah. uh, from where he normally would was making these things and they reset up shop to keep going. Um, but anyways, get those things updated. Um, I yeah. don't always care about firmware updates because half the time they don't do anything noticeable to me. That's right. But um, we'll talk about it more on our six good games segment. But um, I was using this device behind me here, which takes a Super Nintendo and allows me to put a cartridge in it that I can put Game Boy or Game Boy Advance games in. And it uses it allows me to output that to the TV, so I'm using the Super Nintendo controller and playing Game Boy Advance games on my TV. Awesome, yeah. So I put the EverDrive in there. The Game Boy works j- 
just fine. I put my Game Boy Advance EverDrive in there to play a Game Boy Advance game, and it would say, you know, error, not real hardware, or something to that effect. And I'm like, ah, shoot, it doesn't work, right? And just on a whim, I'm like, you know what, let me just check, you know, to see if there's a new update. I didn't realize how long I've had that EverDrive. Yeah. Uh, I looked on the board, it was revision 2017, so I've had that thing for five plus years. Yeah. Um, I go online, and literally, like, two months after I bought it, there was a firmware update for it I just never used, um, and it allows it to play on this thing I have. Oh, sweet. Um, it literally just said, it, we fixed an error where when it saw non-real hardware, it complained about it. We just said, eh, don't worry about it, just play. That's or whatever, awesome. you know. Yeah. Um, so it works now, and added a bunch of other cool features that I didn't have before, so... Firmware, firmware. And I'm guilty of that. I never update. I don't, I'm not even sure I've ever updated any of my EverDrives. Well, and typically when I think firmware, I'm always worried about like, oh, man, I gotta like, I don't want to brick it. You gotta find some way to plug it into your PC or something and download an app to like flash the firmware. And sometimes you do that. You have to do that, yeah. With these EverDrives, you literally just take the card out of the device, put it in your computer. There's a file in there that says like, you know, info.whatever, sys or whatever it is, and you replace it with the new one. That's it. And it just worked. Yeah. I know the first EverDrive I ever bought was for my Genesis. And it's like, he's come out with even new EverDrives for the Genesis. Mine's the very first OG revision one, the very first one. And yeah, it's got limitations for sure. And it takes a long time to load ROM. So like, I should see if there's an update for that one, but Uh, there probably is. He's, he supports stuff, man. Yeah. And you know what? It's, I think it is cool because there's a lot of knockoffs and stuff out there. Yeah. And the there fact is. that that he makes good stuff every time and supports it, I have EverDrives for I, I have almost everything he sells. I, same here, same here. I've got, in fact, the most recent one I bought, I think I've completed my EverDrive collection. I think I have them all. I bought the really? one. I bought the one for the uh, the Sega Game Gear because I, I got that say Game that's Gear. The one I don't have the it, Game Gear, and I bought that one, and that's it. Now I have them all. I'm pretty sure I have them all. Yeah. I don't have the latest one. Yeah, he's gone back and kind of made pro versions. Yes, yeah, um, I don't have that, but them, I have. Yeah them for everything and and it's so for the people if you check the show notes his name's Crix if you haven't ever done it k-r-i-k k-r-i-k-z-z yep and uh he sells them direct and he also sells them through places like stone age gamer and stuff like that so he has some resellers that do them as well um hey tim eric you be tim i i yeah i can't do the thing but speaking of firmware yeah so the kung fu flash firmware update to version 1.41. 1.41. This includes better disk emulation support and ability to switch drive numbers and now able to control the menu with the joystick. So that's a big deal. And I will say that the better disk emulation support and ability to switch drive numbers, that's important if you are ripping your real disks because mm-hmm. you're okay. ripping your real disk from a drive eight and you want to dump it to a drive nine. So being able to change your Kung Fu Flash to a 9, that's that's a big deal. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal probably to a pure gamer, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. So that, that's awesome. And I know the there was always room for improvement on the disk emulation support, so it's nice to see that that's constantly yeah. being improved. And if you are a pure gamer, the fact that you can control the menu with a joystick Perfect. is a huge deal. <laughs> it, it is. And you know, I've been using my Kung Fu Flash on the uh, SX64 that you oh, gave cool, me. Oh, yeah. So that's my, like, disk drive of choice on that and it's perfect i pop it in and i get a little menu i scroll through it pick a game and i'm off to playing it where before 
you know, you're going through discs and you're loading discs and you're doing this and that. Yep. Kung Fu Flash makes it super easy. And guess who sells the Kung Fu Flash? RetroRewind.ca. Correct. Forward and you can slash Pixel Guide in. PG-10, 10% off. Good PG-10. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I got the next you one, You can do the next one, Eric. So this is a cool Game Boy DMG, which is the, the original. That's what the original Game Boy was. All right, the DMG-01, I think they called it. Right? Yep, exactly. And this is, the, uh, this is a mod for the, the, the original Game Boy. But this guy, what he did is he 3D printed an advanced-style case for it and then took all the guts out of it, out of a real Game Boy, and popped it in this 3D case. So what it looks like is an original game boy and he made it into a um it's like it's like in an advanced form factor yeah, but yeah. it's an original game boy so imagine if you looked i'm looking at if you imagine the original game boy yeah if you cut it right in half or you know cut the screen off yep if you were to able to take the d-pad and the two buttons and stretch it out so that the screen could be right between them yep that's what it looks like it's got a little little kind of uh diagonally mounted speaker grill on the side it's got all the same colors the start and select button are at the same angle, the same type of button. I mean, it looks very much like the Dreamcast and the <laughs> PS2 you just showed us. Exactly, except. exactly. But this is just a guy doing it at, at home or whatever. But um, I just thought it was really neat because I do have to say the form factor of the original Game Boy. I mean, while I love the original Game Boy, <clears throat> and I had one uh, when I was younger, and I loved playing it the advance is so much more ergonomic and I think it's just better having the controls on each side of the screen instead of below it. Uh, I think it's really cool. And uh, I just thought it was a nifty little mod. So yeah, if you guys want to check looking. it out, it's in the show notes. There's a link to it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I feel like we're following a theme, this, this particular news. So <laughs> um, over at flashmasta.com we've talked about flashmasta yes before i bought a wonderswan cartridge for from him yep you have the wonderswan cartridge i i got my wonderswan cartridge as well from him yep um and then i didn't get it but you got his version of the neo geo pocket color i did yes. flash cart that's as well right. called i believe the flashmaster yep yep um so he put out a big thing, and this is, you know, people like, like, now that again, there's two different versions for, two different carts for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Both great options. Yeah. Uh, his is a little lower price point, and not quite as capable as the one I ended up buying, mm -hmm. but still, still very capable. I think it has, you can load two games, and there's a switch, so you can get, do I want this game or this game? That's right. Um, and then if you want it, which, which you and I like some, to a point, so you're not constantly going, oh, let's just switch games all the time. You're kind of stuck. You get those two games right now. That's one thing I like about it, yeah. Yeah, until, you know, you can go play it in your computer and put two more games on it. But, um, you know, he designed that, and he created it, and put time and effort and made it. And unfortunately, it looks like they're starting to show up on Alibaba. Of course. With these ugly, bright orange carts. Yeah. It, it's even called the Neo Geo USB Flashmaster 2-in-1. Uh, even has the switch. I mean, it's his exact, you know, it's been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, where they design it backwards. <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Re-engineered? Yeah. Or uh, reverse engineered. Reverse engineered, yeah. And so they probably dumped his ROMs and put it on 
some chips and then 3D printed a case, and now it, it, these are just complete pirated versions of it. Yep. So here's what drives me nuts and him, and him nuts, which is, first of all, they took his intellectual property and they're trying to profit on it. I don't know how much they're selling them for. Probably dirt cheap. Yeah. Uh, you had to get them over from China. But they even included all of his information for tech support. Yeah. <laughs> how dirty is that? Yeah. That's if there's a- something that wrong with this, please call me at, and then they put his information. That's terrible. You know. Just garbage. But anyways, uh, I thought it was kind of funny because he put a, a YouTube video of Sir Mix-a-Lot singing a, a, a song called Swap Meet Louie. Yeah. <laughs> Did your, your Swap Meet special. That's right. Uh, anyways, hopefully this advertisement will sell a few for him, but uh, Flashmaster.com, it is, you, I mean, you, you showed it to me. I think it's a great device, but you've actually lived with it. Yep. It's great. It's fantastic. It's re- reliable. works well. Um, the PC software can be tricky to get to work, but it's not that big of a deal to get it to up and running, so... And the Neo Geo Pocket, um, uh, I'm sorry, the Wondrous One, one that he, it, that thing was just works. Yeah, that, it, one's oh, that, that one's really simple, and it can. I think you can have up to 15 or 20 games on it at a time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Works great. It's a reason to get a Wondrous One, really. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I'll be Tim this time. Okay. Uh, Reset 64 craptastic competition is underway, Eric. Actually, I think it's already closed at this point, but uh, this is uh, for the year of 2022. They've done this the last few years. Um, 4K games competition. So on the Commodore 64, people are able to make games with a limitation of 4K, which is 60K less than the Commodore could use. Actually, not entirely true, but you know what I mean. Yeah. so Tim says the games are starting to make their way out now as the entry date has passed. Some excellent gamer releases, including Brum Brum by All Around Top Bloke and C64 coding legend Roy Roisterini Fielding. Yeah, our buddy. Our buddy and a uh, friend of the show. Yep. Uh, other highlights so far are Circles, Marble Boy, and Poke. Uh, this year will be a hard one to judge. A complete pack should be available by the time this episode airs via the Reset64itch.io page. And uh, I guess we don't have a show note link to that quite yet, but um, just Google Reset64, Craptastic, it'll pop up. You'll be able to see all the previous year's entries. Um, these are a whole lot of fun. It's a, fan- <laughs> it's a fantastic competition, and the games, while only 4K, are usually very... Um interesting and innovative i mean and the cool thing is that some of the more popular ones they'll the author will later come out with a full version yep so i bumped this up to 10k and now look at it (laughs) exactly uh so yeah and uh we got to decide are we going to take a look at these for a show i mean i maybe we should maybe we should have our own uh our own side competition just for the fun of it but obviously reset 64 is uh running the real thing they're running the real thing but Um, yeah I, I was actually a judge last year. I think you were a judge before that, maybe. I think, yep, I was. Uh, so make sure you check out Reset64. Doing some great things for the Commodore scene. I'm looking at a quick video now of Marble Boy here. It's amazing that that's 4K. Yeah, and um, I, I heard another podcast where they were talking about this, and I think it even has music in it. Like, and If you think about it, fitting a, fitting a game like this in 4K and then in, also including music, that's pretty incredible. This actually looks like a very good game. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. Yeah. It's simple. It's uh, like top-down, um, you know, flat screen, almost like Marble Madness, which is known for being isometric and downhill. Yeah. But just imagine top-down, flat screen. You're rolling this this 
marble, which has physics going. You're trying to avoid these holes in the ground. There's walls up, and you're trying to collect flags worth points, almost like um, Buggy Boy. Yeah. Um, I This looks like a blast. Yep. I could see this even in 4K being, um, you know, I have my little list in my Commodore, uh, my file. Yeah. I have, you know, bad games, okay games, good games, and favorites. Yeah. This already looks like a favorite. <laughs> yeah, this one it looks, looks really good. Yep. Um, you know what, just for the heck of it, let's take a look, quick look at the other one. Circles is another one that, that Tim put a link to, starting with the blue screen. Um black background you're this circle that's firing bullets in all directions it's almost like an arena shooter yeah uh this is much more believable that it, that it fits in 4k <laughs> i'll put it that way it doesn't look bad by any means it just no looks more 4k and uh gameplay is king i'm sure this, it looks like it plays well yeah this looks like a pretty interesting game too very cool very cool nice yeah um we didn't get to try see brum brum though by roy feeling so we'll have to make sure to do that. Yeah. Uh, you can be Tim on this one. Another one from Tim. Yep. So he says, friend of the show, Ricky Sikenger. Do you think that's how he pronounces it? Sikenger? Let's just go with his at hashtag on Twitter. Yeah, at bag of, ha- bag of hats <laughs> uh, of Badger Punch Games. Which there we go. Badger Punch Games is awesome. They make some fantastic games. Has released their fun Western-themed shooter, Showdown. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. But that was on the C64. Now it's on the Mega C65. <laughs> it's much enhanced for the Mega C65, as you would imagine, with new graphics and sound. It's also going to get a full-price physical release. In the meantime, you can pick it up on his itch.io site for just 5 bucks. So if you are one of the rare people out there that has the Mega 65, I mean, I hope the Mega 65 takes off. I hope it... I hope it sells a million units. Yeah, it'd be awesome. But um, if you are somebody with a Mega 65, or you can you can emulate a Mega C65, this might be a great game to get. I know we liked it on the show, the Showdown game. It's a, it's yeah, a really it's fun a very little. simple game. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're you're a guy on one side of the screen, and your friend is a guy on the other side, or a computer player shooting across the, an old Western trail, and you know, there's things that can get in the way of your bullets, but you're trying to curve your bullets around all these things and hit the guy on the other screen. A little yeah. one-on-one shooting gallery kind of game. Yep. And it's only $5. So if you if you spent the, I don't know, how much was the Mega, six, Mega 65? A lot. I, Hundreds I, of dollars on that? Yeah. And this is only 5 bucks. Yep. Not to mention it's a piece of software for your computer, so you have to buy it since there's not going to be a whole lot yet. Not yet. And the graphics look really cool on that. It does look uh, solid. It looks Amiga-esque. Actually, I'd say it looks better than a lot of Amiga games. That's true. So this is another game. I, I It's an upcoming platform for the Amiga, and I know that we're not a big super fan of talking about upcoming games, but we do it frequently. But this one uh, doesn't look like it's that far from from uh, being finished. But this one's called Creeping Me Out Hex Night. Um, I thought if you, if, you check, if you check out the graphics on this one, it... It, it just screams Amiga platformer. Yep. Where I don't know why, but like on a lot of Amiga platformers, the characters always seems very stiff when he's jumping. <laughs> like he doesn't have full like animation of like crouching down and like jumping. And then it's just like a stiff body jumping, but I, I, that's fine. I mean, it makes, yeah. it, it gives the Amiga some style, you know, uh, our particular style for itself. But this one just looks like a really cool platformer where you're a guy walking around shooting things. Um, it looks very Adam's family to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would say Adam's Family meets Turrican. Yeah. 
Because the gun, the way the gun shoots, it looks very uh, running gun turkiny to me. And, and it looks like I think you, from what I've gathered from the video, there's a lot of like different weapons you can find, different weapon upgrades and stuff like that. Um, it just looks like a really cool game. Yeah, I've actually i've I've seen updates on this for quite a while. Okay. And uh, I, it's on my radar, but it's just at the point where everything's an update now. Yeah. So I just quickly read the title. If it says update, I just keep moving forward at this point. That, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, now I'm ready for the game. <laughs> yeah. I want the game now, darn it. This one looks pretty close it to looks, being finished. Uh, yeah, it does. It, I mean, you, you would think it's quite close. Yeah. Um, back to Tim. Yeah. Uh, C64 Puzzle Classic, Mike and Molly. Yep. Which um, I still have not played. It's like a puzzle game, so it's not really up my alley, but it exactly. does look really, really good. Uh, by Carlton Handley, he, and this thing's got great, um, you know, reviews and stuff. Uh, and his other C64 releases, like Run and Gun, which I did quite enjoy, yeah, although it's quite short, but very good, yep. have been made available for free by Carlton on his Itch.io page. Uh, there are some cracking C64 games here, and if you have not had a chance to try them, now's the time to pick them up. Yep. So Carlton Handley, Handley, itch.io. Um, cool. Free free games. Now, I would say, still, if you enjoy the games, you can throw a few bucks his way. Yeah, and it, that site is modeled so that you can donate and you should. I mean, he, yes, you can download them for free, but you should donate so that he gets a little pocket money for his work. I bought Running Gun. He's supposed to release two more of those, and I want, I want, to, I want them. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what I would really like is for him to release the other two, but then also release one that has all of them together, so it's one big game. Oh, wow. That would be pretty cool. I mean, it felt like a third of a game. It was yeah. really good, but it was quick for yeah. me. Yeah. This next one is another Commodore 64 uh, news item. Very popular. You know, the C64 community never ceases to amaze me. I mean, so many people participate in the scene, so many programmers. But this one is um, called Lick- Lykia? Lykia? I don't know how you pronounce it. Yeah, L-Y-K-I-A. The Lost Island for C64. We'll just go with Lickia. Lickia. Okay. Lickia. <laughs> sounds bad. Yeah, that sounds uh, PG-13. Uh, the Lost Island for C64 and Plus, plus 4. Plus 4. Is available July 14th. So it's uh, it's out pretty much it's today. Out. Yeah. And physical copies later this year. Now, that's one thing that caught my eye was the physical copy. The box looks really cool for this. Um. But the game itself is another. You remember the Sarah Jane Avery one, the the Bradley Rich Chronicles. Of course, this is another action RPG style game. Awesome. Uh, so, and this one some gameplay here on our video stream. Yeah, this one uh, has plenty of dialogue. It's uh, supposed to be pretty story rich, and uh, it it looks like it's going to be one of those games, one of those very like deep meaty games with plenty of hours We're like trying to pull up a little video to get some <laughs> get some texture to this and our buddy has a great video from retro gamer nation which anytime you're trying to look at new commodore 64 release check out retro gamer nation great website great place to get all the updates and reviews on new absolutely commodore 64 releases i do enjoy his videos because it gives you what you need when you're looking at new Commodore 64 games that... Every month he has a roundup. Yeah, A YouTube exactly. roundup, and yep. I watch them every time. They're great. In fact, that's what this is on right here. Yep. And it says feature presentation, so let's watch some gameplay. That almost looks like... Um, wow. So it's like a cutscene. It almost looks like um, someone took full motion video and, and like... Digitized. Downgraded yeah. it to yeah. Commodore 64. That was kind of cool. Yep. 
There we go. There's the gameplay. Yep. So it's like big words on the screen of where, when when they're talking, but it's got it's very colorful, big sprites. It's a very unique actual uh, art style. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. It's almost um Yeah. King's Questy like chunky GBA King's Questy. I don't know how to explain it. And very I remember cool. <clears throat> reading something about it where there is combat in the game, but it's secondary and not... I was going to say, I don't see any combat. It's more like searching and doing quests and reading the storyline and going along with it. Yep. Cool. Looks great. Yeah. So anyway, Lickia. <laughs> Lickia. So you got the final news item here. That I do. I do love to talk myself some Evercade. And, you know, I feel like for every cart they actually release... Yeah. They announced like five more. Yeah. And, and then, I'm like, when are they coming out? Yeah, I want to get the games. That's what kind of sucks is that it, <laughs> it, yeah, they, they only do one release per month, right? Uh, two a month, actually. Two a month, okay. In fact, I'll show you at the bottom of this. But uh, this one... We were just talking uh, is, about I'm beyond excited. Yeah. So I've always said, what was my favorite Evercade, Evercade cart to this point, Eric? Do you remember? Uh, no, I don't. It was the one that had two new quality titles. Yeah. Rather than having like... Here's 17 games from a long time ago. We just put them on a cart. Right. And that was like Xenocrisis and... And Tanglewood. And Tanglewood. That's right. Yeah. Two great Genesis games. That's right. Which were released on Genesis and then stopped, you know, the physical versions went away. Yeah. And so we are literally unable to get them now. That's right. Unless they were to release a ROM, uh, which um, in this case, these two have not been released, but now they're on the Evercade, so I can buy them. A new released uh game two games for the nes that are now released physical for 20 bucks on one cartridge for the evercade super cool we were just talking about alwa's awakening we, we that just is talked on about here that. eric yeah well, this, that's pretty amazing and i'll just tell you first of all i i played i again i'm gonna tell you more about it next time i played through the entire game i beat the game okay uh it was a solid eight ten hours i mean you're gonna get your money's worth right there and then a game i actually honestly have not even heard of but it looks amazing a game called Cathedral. I was going to ask you about it, like if you'd heard of it, because I've never heard of it. Nope, I have not. But so let me let me show you some gameplay here, real quick. Um, of course, this is an embedded YouTube video, so we'll see how quickly this thing comes up and plays. Um, so here's Always Awakening again, which is oh, such a good game. Yeah, I absolutely love this game. Um, let me fast forward here, and here is Cathedral. It looks to me, it's got a very uh, again, this is an actual, to my knowledge, an actual NES. Uh, ROM. Um, I mean, it looks like it is. And it almost has a Shovel Knight feel to it. Yeah, I was going to say, it really does. You're a knight with a sword. The running animation looks great. It's a scrolling um, hack and slash platformer. Um, Trying to think what I would compare it to. Shovel Knight, I think, more than even anything on the actual NES. It looks more modern than a typical NES game would be. Um kind of castlevania but with it looks much more controllable if you yeah <laughs> i don't know the last time you played a, a true nes castlevania but it looks amazing this is going to be an absolute purchase i can guarantee this will be my first or second favorite cartridge for the evercade right now and that's available october 2022 it is but as i said earlier they release two things every month so the other game that they are announcing right now as i continue to scroll down the Commodore 64 Collection 1, Eric. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, so, really quick, we'll, we'll talk about that real quick, but 
So what I've noticed here is they now have three different color cases for you to start collecting. Yeah. They are really feeding into the collector mentality, and I'm fine with that because they're only 20 bucks a piece. I might just end up collecting them. I keep saying, I keep going back and forth. Yeah. Um, so the red cartridges are console games. Okay. So this is how I'm figuring it out, right? So anything red, including Always Awakening and any of the previous console releases. Uh, anything purple is arcade titles. Okay. So again, the purple ones that start with one, and now they're already up to, they've announced, um, at, we mentioned before, Irem Collection, which is number seven, and the Toplin Collection, number eight. Those are arcade. And then the C64 Collection 1, if you'll notice on the side, it says you know, volume number one, and it's blue. It's blue, yeah. So that must be the computer Computer collections, collection. yeah. How cool. Which I don't know if there have been a, there has been one for a computer collection. Not that might be the, the first one. That's the first one for the for the Evercade, yeah. Yeah. Um, arcade now, yeah, they're, they're already up to eight, which is nuts. Uh, you got, you know, Jalico, you've got uh, <laughs> Galco. Jalico and Galco, yeah, which actually are very differently spelt, but they sound very similar. Yeah, um, you know this one back here. These are red. This is Intellivision Collection Two. Yep. Um, these are all ones that are coming out. Gremlin Collection, the Morph Cat Games Collection, which is one that I'm very excited about coming out. It's got like five new NES games, but they're smaller titles. Yeah, including um, uh, what's this one called? Micronites. Oh yep. yeah, Micronites. That's a fun one. Anyways, lots of good stuff. Yeah, lots of good stuff coming out. Uh, and then if you actually go on their website, you can find. Uh, I don't see it right now, but they actually have a, a timeline of their release schedule coming out, and that'll help you get an understanding for um, what comes out when. But my goodness, look at all the look at all the stuff they have coming out already. And this was announced, by the way, after the Intellivision Amico. <laughs> it's already been released, and they already have thirty plus releases. And they already have three different revisions of the system out now. So come on, they need to hire. They need to hire the Evercade dude. Make him make him uh, in charge and come, finally come out with the Amico. Great little story. Not to mention, and notice now it's actually in America. That first you can only get the Evercade on Amazon, mm-hmm. and um, even though it's technically not in America, Funco.uk yeah uh, shipped to America. I notice now if you are in America, let's see, U.S. Right there. You can now also buy at Best Buy. Yeah, I've never seen it inside the store, though. It might be a Best Buy online only. I think you can do store pickup where they ship it to the store and pick it up as well. So Okay. Anyways, it's cool that Best Buy is now selling Evercade. That's cool. That is cool. Let's, let's you know, at this point, there are a small local electronics store. Yeah. There's You're no right. one left. So let's use them. Yep. Uh, that's the news, Eric. That is the news. Which means um, I think I need to finish the foam on the rest of my beer glass here. <laughs> uh, we'll crack open a new one and we'll hop on in to six good games. Six good games! All right, Eric. To do six good games this month, we're going to have beers. So yes, let's get those are. beers ready. So I bought this big bottle, and right, the reason I right. bought it is that it is the same brewery that makes uh, Pliny the Elder. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Russian River Brewing Company, but I've never had this beer, and frankly, like, you know, the big fuss they make over that Pliny the Elder, I really oh, don't yeah. like it that much. Oh, it's extremely hoppy. Yeah. And that's not your thing. But this one is called STS Pills from Sonoma County. 
So it's, it's a, a pilsner. pilsner. There you go. But from what I read, it's supposed to have a light, like the last one, it's supposed to have a nice hop characteristic to it. So I'm hoping it's going to have some flavor. Russian River, by the way, is here in California. Yeah. <laughs> Sonoma County. It is not in Russia. I'm going to just pour this one and make it happen. Yep. While I am pouring this, Eric, how does this beer relate to our six good games this month? <laughs> it's froggy? Um, there's, it's a river. It's a river. You're right. You're and right. Then sometimes frogs live in rivers, I think. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, I'm just... Well, I mean, you're river frogs. You're river frogs. So, uh... Well, yeah, we're doing six good frog games. Yeah, games related to frogs somehow. Frog characters, frog themes. There's, there's a frog frogs. involved. All right. Pilsner from Russian River. Oh, Cheers, yeah. my friend. Cheers. Boom. Boom. Ooh, that is Heineken. Yeah, it's smell. I, I smell it. I'm like. That's exactly what I thought at first. I was like, that smells like... I brought it to my nose, smelt it, and started drinking when I saw you lift it to your nose. I'm like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> doesn't taste as Heineken-y, no. but it's heineken It smells heineken very much, but doesn't taste like doesn't taste as bad as Heineken. Heineken's horrible. Hmm. But it's refreshing. Okay. As the kids say, it's refreshing AF. AF. <laughs> as always, or something. Something, <laughs> that, something to that effect. Something like that. <laughs> All right, out of um, mm. out of uh, six Russian nesting dolls, six Russian nest Russian nesting dolls. What are you gonna give this one? Six. Um, oh, out of six, that's gonna be rough. You can do halves because they are technically in halves. Okay, I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do three and a half. I uh, I was trying to decide between that or four. I'm not in love with it. Not in love with it, but it is refreshing. I mean, it, it doesn't have an offensive flavor to it. I hate, I hate that that's the low bar these days. It's but. the smell of Heineken with not quite the taste of Heineken in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> in, a, in a good that's way. That's our, our glaring review for this beer. Yeah. All right. So it is refreshing. Yeah. Uh, six good games with frogs. <laughs> with frogs. <laughs> I love this topic. I don't know what made me think of this. I'm just like, frogs are fun. Let's do frog games. Um, <laughs> I'm very curious to see um, where we went with this. So um, I'll go ahead and just go first. Sure. I think, I think you went first last time. Yep. Um, so let me bring this up here. I've got I've to type it in. So I may have mentioned this on the show before, but I wanted to play through the entire game for the show so that I could talk more intelligently about it. <coughs> And it is actually a originally, I believe, a Flash game or something very similar to a Flash game. Yeah. Uh, called Frog Fractions. Frog Fractions. <laughs> I, you heard of this? A, no, but this is scaring me because that means there could be half a frog. Am I right? <laughs> there could be uh, nine sixteenths of a frog. Yeah, that's pretty gross. So first of all, you'll notice on here. Look at the ratings. Two thousand and eight reviews. A ten out of ten. Wow. I I don't know. <laughs> Steam. There's ten out of ten. Yeah. So. You have to know what this is, and I can't give you a giveaway too much, otherwise it will ruin the ruin, game. Ruin the game, okay. Okay, it'll ruin the game. But I'll just say that this game, you will very, it, it's, when you start playing it, first of all, if you didn't know about it and didn't have someone tell you something about it, you would never play it, because you look at it and just go, that's not my style of thing. Um, it is basically a mockumentary of all the edutainment games 
that like I played in the '90s, like after after um, Oregon Trail, but like a little later on, like Math Blasters, right? Games yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, like yeah, the games that you were allowed to play in school after you finished your your schoolwork. Um, oh, this is a weird video with people in the corner. That's all right. Here's the basic gameplay: you're a frog on on the bottom of the screen on a lily pad, and you use the mouse to point at like flies in the air and try to lick them with your tongue. Okay. And for some reason, when when you do that, like fractions pop up. They mean nothing. It <laughs> right. just gets ridiculous. And and as you play, the fractions get more and more ridiculous. You know, like here's wave one. It might be like, oh, you, you just got nine sixteenths of a point. Oh, you just got three to the third power. Oh, you just got like there's five six. So there's three seconds. Uh, <laughs> there's, and then there's like fruit, and you're collecting fruit. And uh, if you look at the top, your score right now is three thousand four hundred and sixty nine over one twenty. <laughs> like it means nothing. It's just ridiculous. Uh, you catch enough flies to end the wave, right? Yeah. And then you get to do power ups, and the power ups are hilarious. I don't want to get into them all, but it has to do with like how your tongue shoots at things. Um, <laughs> you can get here's dance shoes designed for the professional dancer. These low rise slip ons have a two part. Oh, I can't. It went too quick. Um, but you just play through this game, and the rules just break themselves constantly. Um, now you're using the keyboard to go left and right while you're doing this. Uh, in this first part of the game, out of nowhere, it's like, uh, frog teaches typing. And all of a sudden, the frogs have na- words above them, and you have to type the words. And the words can be really bizarre and sometimes obscene and sometimes uh, just like, <laughs> you know, it might be like, apple, uh, potato, anti-establishmentarianism (laughs) uh, and you just play through the game and uh, again without giving too much away by the time you finish the game it's nothing like the game you started you're laughing the entire time Um, the power-ups themselves uh, there's one power-up that continues to contradict itself and you go back and forth over and over and over again to the point where if you keep doing it by the end of the game it's just having a conversation with itself like two people arguing over whether whether you should have the power-up or not (laughs) it's hilarious where did you learn about this game? It's been pretty popular for a while. In fact, not, not, they actually have a Frog Fractions 2 and 3 now. Oh, wow. Um, I just played the original one. Um, you know, I probably played through the whole thing. I'm just, you don't have to tell the, the people what we're looking at here, but <laughs> further on the game, we're, we're, uh, we're in court <laughs> at that point. Uh, at this point, it's like a shooter. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You just kind of have to play it. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, at this point, your fruit score is literally, it says, like a billion. <laughs> Like a at first you're trying to collect like seven fruits and then oh now you need to get to 13 fruits and at this point in the game it's just you've got more than a billion i don't know you've got a lot of fruit <laughs> anyways if you've got like two hours to just enjoy it i don't think it's even that long it's but like a pc game you just got to sit down if you want to spend probably an hour to hour and a half yeah on you know i think they actually it's in the web browser you can download it on steam i think for free okay um, I think there is an upgrade you can buy for five dollars. That's like you can play through the entire game again, but in a sombrero. <laughs> and it literally, I think it's literally the exact same game. It's just basically saying, "Hey, if you, if you like the game, you can pay us a few bucks." Yeah. But all it is is playing the exact same game with a sombrero on or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, that looks hilarious. It's hilarious, and you're a frog. So it's a frog game. That is and a frog game. Yeah. There we go. My oh. first game, Frog Fractions, on the PC. So my first game is Super Frog on the Amiga. I thought this one might come up. And this one, uh, I had never played in depth at all. So okay. uh, pretty much just uh, 
decided I knew it was on my CD32 and there's a CD32 version. And so I loaded it up. It's a Team 17 game. Um, it is a game where you, oh, da, 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 of course, are a frog. And you're super. You're a super frog. And the reason you're a super frog, I think, if, I'm, if, I, read the, if I read the docs correctly, you are a super frog because of this medicine you take in the game called Luzacane. Is that what it's called? I think it's a, is that a cough drop? It, uh, no, it's a little bottle. Um, it's a medicine? It's a medicine. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's a real one though, right? Like it's yeah. a, this is another cash grab, like a advertisement game, right? <laughs> no, no. Kind of like the, the, what is it? Zool? Zool. <laughs> right? Is it Zool? Yeah. No. Something. No. Yeah. Zool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where it's all about chupa chups. Yep. Or chupa chups or whatever they call them. Oh man, my notes aren't working here. But anyway, so I'm going to just go go straight from from my yep. mind. But it's a basically it's a typical European Amiga platformer. They're, collect them up, collect them up, <laughs> exactly. Which I'm starting to really like. I'm starting to really dig the collect them ups, um, just because it stresses uh, exploration above all else, like looking for things. And yeah. there, are, there are secret tunnels in this game. Stuff like that, but it is a collect 'em up, and there are a lot of power ups and and collect 'em ups. And there's this weapon you can get that is a green, like a little green thing that you collect. And if I remember right, again, it was in my notes, which I've completely botched up here, so I have no notes. But it's called the Spud, something Spud, <laughs> and it's a thing that you hold the fire button down and can point in a direction, and then. You let go of the button and it fires it. In, in Almost like Yoshi's Island. Yeah, so you can shoot it up, up diagonal, whatever. And um, so there are offensive weapons. And then when you're going around the, the levels, you collect coins. And when you collect so many coins, it unlocks the level. Like so, the door so you can leave kind of thing? Correct. Now, you take those coins and you can either keep the coins or you can do this game where it's like a slot machine game and you can get power ups. gamble you can gamble your coins away or you can use them in the game for whatever you want to do with them but um but basically it really is just a platform but I, you know I, I hear people talk about this game in um you know in like like in high reverence like it's a, it's a very popular game in the amiga but then there are certain people that when they talk about this i think it was reviewed on the amigos when uh they had a lot of criticisms of it and it's not a perfect game it's mm-hmm. definitely not a perfect game but when you're looking on the amiga for a platform to play there's not a lot that's great on the amiga it, yeah okay and i will say that the physics in this are and the physics and the controls are pretty good for this game okay now i only got to about level three because I just ran out of time. But it's one I'm going to go back to, especially on the CD32. It's very nice to just kick back on the console and play this. So I think I'm going to have to try it again. I've, I've tried it, I think, all of once, maybe twice. Okay. Um, and I don't know if I remember hearing about the actual Super Frog episode on the Amigos. I know I've heard them mention it in other episodes. Okay. Um, I've heard the same thing. It's high reverence. It's definitely... I feel like... So when typically, if I'm not mistaken, the Mika games typically, even though the yes, the Mika was all over the place, they're typically out of Europe, yeah. and so that's you know, Amiga is the haven for any kind of Euro, you know, Euro shmup, Euro platformers, any of the Euro stuff. It's kind of we're talking pretty much talking about the Amiga. Yeah, um, this is very much that European collect 'em up thing. Which you're right, I actually like the collect 'em up aspect as well. Yeah, I can see I can see how they'd be a good game with this game. I, str- I struggled with the controls 
Um, I struggled with kind of like the level design compared to like the the abilities and stuff. Like I don't feel like they're expertly designed levels based on what your skill set is. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they're trying to do a Sonic the Hedgehog thing because everyone assumed Sonic was such a big hit because of how fast you went. Right. But honestly, aside from that first level, Sonic is just brilliant level design. I know you don't like Sonic, but it's not really about the speed, ultimately. That's not what makes it good. Right. Um, and Super Frog is like, all right, let's think about this. You're making a character that's extremely fast in a level where you have to backtrack, explore everything, collect everything. Like, that speed does nothing for you. Right. Um, but I think I would like to give it another shot. I didn't have a bad time with it when I played it. Um, it just seemed very kind of samey and generic. I feel like uh, there's either it just didn't translate or or just um, everyone had Amigas, so they, they made they enjoyed the games, the best games that were available for the Amiga. Um, but like a lot of these games, not this one, but like I think of um, James Pond. Yeah. Which, by the way, you could have put in as another frog game. That's true. That's um, true. Those kind of, and some other flat, uh, you know, Euro platformers made it onto the Genesis. They did not do well here. Nobody bought these games or enjoyed them or talked about them. They were not reviewed highly, and they were very good ports of the games for all intents and purposes. I just don't think, again, I don't know, there's there's something that that at least doesn't work for me as with these style of games. Right, and that's unfortunately what you're going to get on the Amiga is the style of platformers. Mm -hmm. There isn't really, there just really isn't anything... I don't even know if I can name a more American style or Japanese style platformer on the Amiga. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful and be sensitive to it. Um, I, I would, I'll, I would almost say, that I don't know if there is a good or great platformer, <laughs> right. but I can see how this is one of the best uh, out of the ones I've yeah, tried to play. I, I will say like, so all your stuff, all your stuff is legit. Like, uh, like what you're saying. But I did have fun playing this for the time I did because I was mainly focused on getting something for the show and I wanted to include the Amiga because I was playing yeah. a lot of CD32 games. I, I do think this is one of the better platformers on the Amiga and it's a fun game. So yeah. it definitely, and I'm leaving off a lot of stuff like some of the, like they, they showed in this video the invisible, like there's a potion that turns you invisible where you just see his eyes. Oh, I just saw that. Okay. And I the, didn't enemies, know what that was. the enemies won't see you. You'll, you can see yourself just your eyes, but the enemies won't attack you because they can't see you. Um, So there's a lot of little power-ups, a lot of little hidden areas. I love platformers that do exploration. And so this one does tick that box. I'm going to give it a shot. It does, you know, watching again, watching somebody else play it, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Cool. So that's my second one. Super Frog. That's my, probably my favorite game about a frog who gains superpowers from doing too much over-the-counter medication. Yes. And then gambles at the end of every day. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, this is a this what is more? a role model. What more can you ask? <laughs> All right. So Super what is frog. your second game? Well, if I can get back to my show notes, I'll tell you. Um, this is an interesting one. Okay. Um, I, obviously, you know, I could have said Frogger. How, how generic and boring is that, right? Right. That, that, it, that would have been too on the nose. <clears throat> and it is one of my favorite, um, honestly, one of my favorite classic arcade games. I love Frogger. I have the little the little shadow box of it over there. Yeah. I love Frogger, too. Simple game, but I, I there's something draws me to it. I love it. Now, careful when you say I love Frogger 2, because Frogger 2 is awful. No, right. No, no. <laughs> I didn't say Frogger 2. I meant Frogger as well. Unlike a lot of classic <laughs> games, Frogger actually did have a lot of sequels at the time, like 
Frogger 2 came out, and then like every subsequent system had some kind of Frogger game, um, including at least two, if not, I don't, maybe three Frogger games on the Game Boy Advance, of all things, wow. at this point. Yeah. Now, here's where you got to be careful. This, this segment's called Six Good Games. I, I tried a couple Frogger games on the Game Boy Advance. They were terrible. Yeah. I think there's one called Frogger, like Frogger Land. It was very similar to this. Frogger, oh man, I can't remember what it's called. Adventureland or something? Frogger Land Adventures? But that's not the one you want to play. You want to play Frogger Adventures. Frogger Adventures Frogger on the GBA. Adventures. Okay. So what I respect about this game, and let me let me pull it up here. Frogger Adventures. Um, oh, here you go. Frogger Advance the Great Quest. Don't play that. That is awful. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> You're just patronizing me. No, it does. It sounds awful. Uh, Frogger Adventures. There it is. Sorry. Riveting radio. Um, so what's cool about this game is it keeps the, more or less, the style of gameplay of the original Frogger. So it actually feels like Frogger. That's good, because a lot of the Frogger games that come out are, have nothing to do with Frogger, really. It's just the characters named Frogger or whatever. Yeah, that like, Quest one was like that. Yeah. So it's Frogger Adventures Temple of the Frog. And <laughs> now I will tell you, there's a, they try to shove a story into this about Frogger. You can save our world. And for some reason, you're trying to help out this crocodile mayor. And uh, there's a council. It's, the story is weird. Yeah. There's cutscenes, But there is an overworld map. And basically, you'll have three levels in an area to beat to go through and then you'll have a boss okay and then you move to the next area i <clears throat> made it to i think l- the fourth world i believe there's 15 levels all together so that would be five worlds um so let me get to the gameplay here so it's literally a game uh it's kind of set up almost, you know like with an, uh, an overworld map kind of like a mario game yeah um but you have to play through them linearly and the gameplay is, you know, it's pretty. It's, it looks good. It's the colors are really pretty. I mean, the the whole landscape just pops. Yeah, it's almost like um, pastels, but pastels that pop. If that makes sense, you yeah. know, I would say the definition of pastels is that they don't pop. But somehow, right. somehow that makes sense to me on this. But the gameplay, if you can tell here, it's Frogger. Yeah. Um, it's not single screen Frogger. It's like scrolling. Uh, you're zoomed in a lot, and um, great pixel art. You've got these weird characters that basically you've got, you know, your log. You go start with a river here. There's logs and lily pads, and then you make it across the river. Um, there is these bad guys, these orcs and things with like swords, and they just make a regular pattern. Now it's not vis- visible, but essentially everything is a grid. Okay. The entire game is a grid. Yeah. So if you press up, down, left, or right, you're going to hop one space up, down, left, or right. Um, there are like rocks and bushes and things that kind of create uh, almost like a maze if you will like a pac-man style maze so you're you're trying to time things hop on pads um so that you're either not falling into the water or not falling off a cliff or not falling into lava depending where you're at um the enemies themselves walk on you know predetermined paths so yeah i was about- gonna say it's, it reminds me of the zx spectrum platform games where like uh yeah you know where things are just going in their own little little paths yeah, and, on their and own little just, loop and you just you wait for the right time and don't touch them and you're fine so that's yeah. basically what this is it's kind of a yeah. frog, frogger puzzle game that looks really good um there's a few other things that you can get, like there's coins on each level, and so you can try to gain coins. You don't have to get them, but you can try to gain them, and they help you out in certain ways. Sometimes there'll be some puzzle elements like, all right, the level is very short, but 
to get to this certain part, you got to go find a certain key that unlocks a bridge. It allows you to get to this part, get to get the other key to lock the other part of the bridge so that you can access the exit to the level. Gotcha. Things like that. Um, and there are... Um, you can game... There's little butterflies that will... That'll, they don't fly around. They sit in spot. And there's a button to lick... You know, shoot your tongue out. If you can get the butterflies, you get lives. Um, here's another timing segment with these floating blocks. Here's some bricks that fall once you hop over them, so you got to do that part quick. Uh, I mean, it's straightforward. It's yeah. fun. It's a simple concept. There, There's one kind of catch to the game, which makes it a little more difficult than it needs to be, but it's not overly difficult. And that is if you, you know, you hop one spot in each direction. Uh, however, the direction you're facing, if you press like A or B, one of the buttons, you'll actually jump two spots. Like you'll jump over a spot okay. to get over a gap in something. However, you're going to you're gonna jump two spots the direction you're facing. So there'll be parts in this where you have to use the L and R buttons that just simply change the direction you're facing. And like there's one scene in, in particular, you're running away from lava that's pouring down the level you're trying to run away from it and you're hopping on things you get to somewhere and you your instinct is to press like down and jump but that doesn't help you that doesn't turn you so if you're still facing right you press down and jump you just jump off to the right right so like there's kind of a mind a mind um af <laughs> yeah um and i can see that i mean i, I can see it, it gets does get challenging in certain spots it gets challenging pretty quick yeah um <laughs> and I will say there's some levels that are very difficult and they're fairly early on in the game and you're like, man, how am I going to play this game? And then the next three like worlds in a row, like nine levels in a row were much easier <laughs> than that one level. Actually, this this level right here was really difficult. Yeah. Uh, and then the bosses are kind of cool. They're, they still use the same kind of gameplay, but the boss is like throwing things up in the air and you have to avoid the, you know, little shadows will show where these things are going to fall. You're avoiding those while trying to hit switches on the ground to you know, make things fall on the boss kind of thing. It's always up, down, left, right, Frogger gameplay, but with some just neat twists that make it a lot more cool. Yeah. So it's, I, it's a solid game. I've been playing it on my Game Boy Advance in bed, and uh, I got pretty into it. I've got also got uh, you know on certain levels, I got angry enough to where I almost threw my Game Boy Advance across the room. <laughs> yeah, I can see Don't this game me. getting pretty frustrating. But but it's good. It looks so. good. It looks like a great game. For, uh, Frogger's Adventures, especially Temple perfect on a handheld. Yeah, and it's, again, big chunky graphics, so it looks great on the handheld. Yeah. Um, when I put it on my big screen, uh, it looked even cooler, and everything becomes easier when it's on a big screen instead I think of a handheld. So too. Yeah. So if you really want to beat it, try it that way. Yeah. That is my game number two. All right, my second game is I followed the old uh, Cody saying that hey, I just want to play a game, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fit it into the, the segment, right? I'm glad you picked this one. Okay. So I never played this one, not in any real way. Like really? I probably, okay. I probably would load it up, play the first level, and then put it away, right? But this one is Donkey Kong Country for the Super Nintendo. Just screams frogs. Screams frogs. But it does have a frog in it that you ride around, and you must use this frog yes. to get to certain areas or to do certain things. Um, but it, if you, if people out there don't know what it is, this was what the era of like, uh, super Nintendo where they were really trying to push the graphics hard. So I don't know what the, there's a word for the style of graphics that they use in this game. It's um, actually, it's, it's surprising. It's actually the same as they used on like mortal Kombat, where they, uh, yes. uh not rotoscoped, not but, rotoscoped. Um, it's where they take a, a photo. Yes. And then 
digitize it. That's exactly what it is. I mean, the graphics in this, if you were looking at a pause screen, you'd be amazed that this is a Super Nintendo game. I yeah, mean, they actually, they basically made these little creatures out of, I don't know, clay or made up little puppets and took pictures of them, digitized it, and that's what you're playing as. Yeah. Looks really cool. So the graphic effect in this game is amazing, but what it ultimately is, is you are Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong, and you are running around. It's like a side-scrolling platformer, I guess is what you'd call it. Um, and you are doing things like collecting bananas and hitting enemies. Um, you can switch positions with Diddy Kong and Donkey Kong by, I forget which button it is, but one of the buttons changes it. When you get hit, you don't immediately die. You just lose either Diddy or Donkey. You lose the character you're playing as. The character you're playing as. And then you can get them back. There'll be barrels around the levels and you break the barrels and you get... Your, your your companion will come back. And the funny thing is that second character is always on the screen with you. So it's like it's a person that's just following you around. Mm -hmm. And the very first times I played this game, I found that a little distracting, but you soon get pretty used to it. But it is a game of, again, exploration. You're going around, you're looking for, you collect um, words like that spell Kong or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And you um, are basically you get to the end and you fight a boss and you move on to the next level. But there are challenging levels like there's a level with the rail carts, which is very. Yeah, that one took that one. I lost a lot of lives <laughs> getting through. But then there are levels that are a lot easier. And this um, I'm proud to say. Do, 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 do. Uh, you're kidding me. I beat this game. Really? Yep. I played it on my. Wow. I played it on my handheld, my Amber Nick. So I was able to do yeah. save states. Love the Amber Nick. Um, and uh <laughs> i i, I can't made, call it anything else that's what it is to me i don't know why i got that name stuck in my head but but i did beat this game and i got to the final boss which looks like a big giant alligator i think he has a name gate or something but i played this earlier in the month um gosh i love this game it's so good and uh i was able to pretty easily i'm not easily but i was able to beat the boss with 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 uh the lives I had left. So I was pretty happy about that. The game's not super easy in spots. I mean, it does get very challenging you, on each. And I played, I believe I played, I haven't played through all of them, Okay, but I've played the majority of all three of the Donkey Kong country games. Yeah. And they all will have a level or two where you're just beating your head against the wall for like an hour. Yeah. That cart one was the one for me. Yeah. It's really difficult. And the funny thing is that's the, what I think it's the second level. I think there's a couple cart levels, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. You're right. You're right. There's one but, further yeah. on. But with the first one I hit, I was like, I was having a lot of trouble with it. But um, this is the main game I've been playing, like, uh, on and off all month. So I beat this game. Good. But the only thing that's related with the frog is that there is, a, there is a frog you have to ride around. There are different animals, like in the underwater level, there's a sail. I think it's a swordfish. Swordfish, you, yeah. They're like mounts, run. right? You, yeah, you hop on them. Exactly. You mount them and you ride around. Frog is a cru crucial one, and it means you can jump higher in certain locations to get to certain areas. Um, but Rhin I, rhinoceros, I believe. There was, was a that in Donkey Kong too. There's a rhinoceros. Okay. Yep. No. Yeah. Yeah. There's a rhino. Um, there's one other one too, but I don't remember what it is. This game's so good. There's so many secrets. Yeah. There there's, is. Um, barrels that shoot you into different areas. There's puzzle elements. There's um, yep. <laughs> uh, special stages to get extra th points. I mean, this is the exact opposite of what kind of a platform or super frog is correct and the beautiful beautiful thing about this too no timer so you can take your time you can explore the levels um it, it's just a fun game and it's, I, it's a collect them up and that you can collect a ton of stuff yeah but, but you don't have to but you don't have to no. so you can get bananas which 100 of those get you a life uh there's barrels you can pick up and throw at things if it's got a dk on it it'll get you 
Donkey Kong or Diddy Kong, whoever's missing. Yeah, get, get your companion back. There's ones like this. I'll take you to a special stage. There's balloons that give you lives. There's spelling out Kong will give you, I think, a life or something. Yep. There, and just, just so much stuff you can find. But that gameplay itself is super simple. Yeah. That's what I want. That's <laughs> one thing I really enjoyed about this game was that it wasn't complicated. Like, the controls weren't. Like, it was pretty simple what you were doing. And satisfying. Uh, I, I don't know. I just... Yeah. Yep, and the, like, like, it's this, a great game. like this is a perfect example of what you were just talking about, where the enemy just goes up and down. Yep. They don't like really attack you, but you have to work your way around them. But there are lots of enemies that do attack you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it took me a while to realize, like I was just, um, I was just jumping on top of the enemies all the time to, to defeat them. Uh-huh. I didn't realize that you actually could, like, uh, fire projectiles too. Or not projectiles, but um, you can do a cartwheel if you're Diddy Kong. That's or it. That's what I mean. A little like yeah, like a windmill attack kind of thing if you're Donkey Kong. I, think. I, I didn't know that you could do the windmill thing until about level three. Oh, and Candy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Candy, who does your save points? Yeah, it's a foxy little gorilla. That's all I'm saying. So I should have done a little more research because that that little cartwheel thing would have come in handy. That's what I meant. Not and look at look at the personality and the in the characters and yeah. just eyes shoot out of their heads and. <laughs> This is a beaver who's been stashing bananas. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah, I want to go play this now. Wonderful game. And, and funny, too. Like the little Nintendo banana drops down. I mean... And here's the thing. The next two Donkey Kong games add like a twist or two. Yeah. And they just make it... I wouldn't even say any of them is better than the other. They just make them all different. And, and none of them... They don't you know. deviate too far from the formula. that the, the, the successful formula. Nope. I think Donkey Kong 2... I know Donkey Kong 3 is... Oh, there's your Ribbit. There's, that's his name, right? Ribbit? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep, um, there he is. Yeah, the D- Dixie or Trixie's Quest, I think, was Donkey Kong 3. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're all great. Yeah. So anyway, that was my second game, and I'm glad I'm I played it. I'm glad you it. played that. That's, that's a solid game that you have to play. Yeah, and I never played it. Like I said, I'd always play level one and then just move on with my life. I think so. I own the real cart, too. Yeah. I think I own one and two. Awesome. Good choice. Good choice. What is your third and last one? My third and last game, I wanted to pick a very <laughs> controversial yeah. topic, Eric. Because this is six good frog games. Exactly. Frogs. And I, and I went I went way out into left field and went with a toad. Now, I'm not technically sure those are, <laughs> those are frogs. Because um, I, I asked my wife that. Because I told her that uh, like one of our theme songs on, this, on the show was the Battletoads theme. And, and I was like... Cody better not pick Battletoads because that's not a frog. And she laughed, and I was like, and I uh, laughed. He picked it. <laughs> and I was like, that's fine. I like it when we deviate from the rules. That's funny. Um, so, first of all, I did not pick Battletoads for those who are okay. wondering out there. Because uh, I've talked about Battletoads on the show, I'm sure, a ton. As a, as a kid, I had that game. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I've always heard great things. You know, when I was, we, you have circles. And Circles of Friends will build things up. And to you, that's the, your world. Yeah. And to me, Battletoads was this amazing game, one of the best games out there. And in hindsight, people hate this game. It's legendarily difficult. So It is extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, it is probably the most impossible game that is technically possible to beat. Yeah. But it's barely possible to beat technically. Yeah. Um, and so, for the most part, if you play the original Battletoads, it's a, this really cool brawler. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just having the hardest time finding this. It's this really cool brawler, and you kind of start as a um, kind of a double dragon style side scrolling beat em up. Mm-hmm. 
uh, with really cool characters, and your toads are punching things. You're, you can be Pimple or Zitz or Rash. <laughs> These are the names of the three toads you can be. Yeah. Um, graphics are amazing from a company called Trade West, uh, which uh, I think is a publisher, but it's actually Rare that made Battletoads, if I remember That's correctly. Right. I think so. Uh, which is a which is a, a European, uh, not a European, but a, a British. It's yeah, it is. That part of the world. Yeah. And it's good. Rare yeah. makes good games. So yeah. if I said anything earlier that made it sound like I don't like any games from that part of the world, that's wrong. Rare makes great games. Um, so anyways, it's really cool because, you know, if you're a toad, you can, you're one of the toads and you're beating these enemies up, um, you know, you might kick them four times and then your shoe turns into a big old boot and like twice the size of you and boots them across the screen yeah. or you're, you're, you try to ram them and if it's the, you know, if you got them weak enough and you ram them you actually grow big old ram horns right. shooting thing off uh you can pound guys into the ground they literally pop into the ground yeah until you smash them so in front of their ground they can't come up or in certain levels they fall through the ground and fall down below you uh, super cool uh pretty good controls for the most part i really enjoy this the first boss battle and if you remember that it all of a sudden is um it's weird. You're playing. You're fighting a boss first person from the boss's point of view. Okay. And you're controlling your character on the screen, picking up these rocks and throwing them towards the screen. Yeah. Like it's super creative stuff. Yeah. And then the second level, you're going down this 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 tunnel. And I'm telling you about the game I didn't pick because it's related. Okay. Going down this tunnel on a string, and there's these things attacking you. But if a bird catches the string, it cuts you, and you fall to your death. Very creative stuff. Next level is the one that people hate, which is the 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 bike level, the motor yeah. speed bike yeah, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember and seeing as a kid, passed it like twice ever. So I played so <laughs> much of this game, but it was level one, two, and first half of three, over and over and over again. Loved it. Couldn't get past it. There's like 12 levels. There's a ton of levels I just never could get to. Right. Anyways, the game I'm talking about is one of the sequels, and it's the weirdest sequel you've ever heard in your life. Out of nowhere, Battletoads, which is made by Rare, yeah, decides to make a game on the Super Nintendo where they team up with Tecmo. Is it, well, not Tecmo. It's a, um, Technos. Technos, yeah. And it's Battletoads and Double Dragon. Oh, wow. And, and that's what it's called. It's called Battletoads. A lot of people say Battletoads versus Double Dragons, but it's not. It's Battletoads. It just says Battletoads, Double Dragon, but it's and because you're you're working together. It could, you could be any of the three Battletoads, or you can be uh, Jimmy and Billy. Is yeah. that the two? I think so. Um. And what's cool about it is I'm not a huge Double Dragon fan. Right. The gameplay is, is especially the arcade style, which, um, you know, the 16-bit version kind of is. But if you play this game, it's definitely Battletoads, where the Double Dragon guys are kind of fit into the Battletoads world. Uh, I say I can kind of see that. You've got the same hearts, the same um, uh, life points, meters, a uh, lot more moves. Um you can pick people up the way that the, the enemies attack, which is very specific to Battletoads. They kind of punch you three times and then wind up really big, giving you a chance to move out of the way for their like final blow. Um, so it starts out very Battletoads in space. Um, and as I kept playing... Yeah, I've never seen this game. It, this crazy. part's actually more... Um, even though the gameplay is still Battletoads, it becomes kind of Double Dragon here. It's kind of like the, uh, the streets with the ladders and stuff. Yeah, like um, a but, typical brawler, left and right. Well, and up and down because of the ladders, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you can still pick up, like, this gigantic rodent boss, pick him up and throw him. Um, if you keep playing through here, for example, 
you know, here's cool effects where there's oh here you go there's the there's the uh, the the shaft where you're going down the shaft kicking the the crows yeah just like the original Double Dragon which is great gameplay um, if I can find it here there is even a speed bike level Eric but it is beatable and enjoyable it is not it's not like it the Battletoads one there you go yeah and everything plays like Battletoads now I will say this is much easier than Battletoads much less challenge which is a good thing. Um, maybe a little boring because of that. I don't know. It looks like more fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a blast. Battletoads just looks punishing. I mean, I've played a little bit of it, but I've never played it any, like, it just doesn't, it's not the kind of game I would enjoy because I just get my butt beat so much. It's, it's funny because I played it as a kid. So when you're a kid, you, you, you play whatever game you had. Exactly. So you at this point I can over. play those first three, three and a half levels like with my eyes closed, but then I can't get past that part. It just stops. So yeah. there's a cool little like shooter stage, which is out of nowhere. It's like an isometric shmup thing. Yeah. Anyways. But where are the frogs? <laughs> where are the frogs, Cody? I haven't seen a single frog yet. You know, if you went to a fancy French restaurant and they <clears throat> served you toad legs, yeah. would you know the difference, Eric? <laughs> just saying. Are there toads in here? Battle toads. But where? Yeah, All the, I see are the dudes. Well, okay, you're you're watching somebody who picked Jimmy. Okay, so you can pick a toad. You can absolutely pick a toad. Now I gotta find a. Now I gotta find one where they actually pick a toad. Gonna, okay, I, I wasn't busting your bees. Oh, you were. You were. <laughs> my bees were busted. For I wasn't sure. busting your bees because of the toad angle. Okay, there you go. Battle toad. I, I was gonna say because, dude, I haven't seen a single frog or toad in this game. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, we got toads. I'll give you that. Okay, All right. I'm gonna give you that. Your last game, my friend. So this game is, I found the history of it. Um, and I don't, ha- I don't have a lot of in-depth history because there isn't a lot of history on this game. Never heard of this. Okay. But yeah, exactly. That's exactly what uh, I did. I was like looking for games with frogs and I came across frog and spiders. That's what this game is called. Frogs and spiders. This is a fixed screen shooter released in 1981 by taito for arcades now the history that i was able to find it they made less than 500 of these arcade machines oh wow okay worldwide um it is a game that is similar to space invaders but much more i you know i i tend to find space invaders i mean i know that it was awesome for its time because it came out careful. in the 70s careful to say Eric. exactly careful to say. i, agree I find with you. it interesting but i mean it does get a little uh samey after samey, a while yes, very much so this game adds a lot of cool twists to the um, Space Invaders formula. You play as a frog on the bottom, and you go left and right, and things come Look at out. That. Things come out left and right, snakes and enemies, so you have to jump over them. Okay, so that's the first element. One thing that is very interesting in this game, so you can jump too, so you're moving left and right and you jump. Another thing that's really interesting is there is a spider web above you, and it's full of spiders moving left and right. Now, those spiders you shoot with your frog. I don't know what you're shooting. Let's not go into that. <laughs> We're not going to go into what he's shooting out of his I, mouth. I want to go into it so bad. But he's shooting stuff out of his mouth. Now, when the f- spiders start falling and they come at you, you can earn more points by jumping and eating the spiders. Really? Which they're not really showing too much in this video, but you can you get bonus points for eating the spiders. Um, Do you have to jump or can you just catch them when they fall past you? I think I always just jumped when they when I killed them and they were falling. I would just jump and then eat them, and then I got my bonus points. Another thing is 
in the web, there'll be these other creatures that get caught in the web, like flies and stuff. Yeah, there's stuff. like a bee's nest, a hornet's nest yep. or something up there. If you protect them by killing the spiders, like before, while they're carrying off the other insects, yeah. you get bonus points for that, too. So you're trying to save the insects that crawl across the There's web. There's a lot going on in this little screen. Yeah, so you you basically are shooting spiders, eating spiders, protecting other insects in, in, the, in the web. And I just found that this, I, I had never, ever heard of this game. And, no. and it was not easy to get to run on my main cabinet. I had to download like three different versions. Finally was able to get it to run. I'm going to check something. Keep talking. Yeah, Keep talking. but this game, um, for coming out in 1981, um, I think is a very innovative twist on Space Invaders. Um, but just reading from the the little notes that I have here. Um, I'm over here now. Yeah. Oh, he's over. He, he's he's, he's, uh, looking, for he's, something, he's right? looking for something over here. Um <laughs> But anyway, uh, and then as you clear levels, they just get more and more difficult, more and more spiders. There's like a squirrel on the side that's trying to attack you. Um, I, I, I actually had a blast on this game, but I think the more reason that I picked it was because it's rare these days that I, there's an arcade game which I've never heard of, but is pretty decent. And I'm kind of disappointed that this game didn't really do well enough to actually be a, be a hit. So what, yeah, because it's way better than it's way better than something like Space Invaders to me, at least. So I have one. I think I have another one of these. I, this is, I'm holding PlayStation 2's Taito Legends. Yeah, and I think I have Taito Legends too. I, I couldn't find it. I was trying to be quick. Okay, get back on the mic. Um, I wanted to see if it was on here, but no, it is on here. Is Space Invaders? Yeah, you know, Jungle Hunt, Bubble Bobble, Operation Wolf. Uh, but they have a, bot, a lot of their... There's a lot of t- good Taito games that people don't know about. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this has 29 original arcade hits, this Taito Legends. Yeah. Um, Starting from the very early 80s, uh, going all the way through the 80s, Taito made some amazing games. And some probably some pretty bad ones. Oh, but, sure, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you heard of, for example, have you heard of uh, Electric Yo-Yo? No, never heard of so, it. I'm sure that's a Taito classic, Eric. Exactly. Have you heard of uh, Plump Pop? Plump pop, never, never mm. heard of two plump. bit, two bit. Nope. Oh, this one's interesting. Super kicks, kicks is a good game. Kicks is a good game. Zookeeper, Phoenix is probably my favorite. Um, Space Invaders like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Galaga like. Yeah, I've I played Phoenix. that one before, and that one's awesome. I'm gonna have to, when we're done here. I'm gonna have to check out and see if I have the other title legends that I think this game might be on it. But I was reading through my notes here. Shooting a spider once, once knocks it down from the web. At which point the player can shoot it again or jump to eat it, which grants bonus points. Now, there's one thing you haven't mentioned at all. Yeah, what's that? This game should be called Frogs, Spiders, and Squirrels, because there's a squirrel on there every screen running across the branch at the top of the tree, just randomly tosses a nut at you, Yeah, or pops out one of these holes. They don't mention the squirrels at all, and you mentioned the squirrels not at all. That's so right. Well, I mentioned it once. That and there's snakes at the bottom. There are snakes at the bottom. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Makes it much more challenging. I think this would have been a very fun game to play in the arcade. I've never seen this game before in my life until I did the research on this. So I, I just think it's... Don't you think it's kind of a shame? I mean, my, So my guess about I, why this isn't... Ma- like, I think it's a game that looks more fun up front. But I think if people are actually trying to play it well and get good at it, I think it looks too random. I don't think there is like a pattern. And at the time, people wanted to get high scores and try to do the best. That's true. And you had to find these patterns and stuff. Yep. And I think this game's just always going to be 
reaction only. And in some cases, there's so many bullets falling at once, there's no way to miss them. But doesn't that look fun? It looks like a blast, yeah. Yeah, so it is, a, to me, it's a good game, and it's one I really oh, yeah. enjoyed. And I enjoyed, I this was one of the rare times I enjoyed not being able to find much on it because i was like where did you learn that you could get the like grab the spiders for points because i would be avoiding those at all costs yeah because there's a little wiki i found here space invaders wiki it's called frog and spiders and so i read through there and that's where i learned about that but i man i so i'm telling you right now if you try to put this on your main cabinet it's going to be very difficult i mean you may already have it on there hopefully you do but if you don't i had the hardest time getting it so Having something like on that PlayStation 2 thing would be uh, the way to play it if it's on a collection somewhere. Was it just hard to find a ROM that worked, or what what was hard about it? I had a hard time finding a ROM that worked at all. MAME would just kick it out every time I tried to run it. You can play it in a web browser, like on, uh, I think, archive.org. But I did finally get it to work on MAME, but the graphics weren't right. Uh, Part of the screen was off, but I just played in the web browser and, and played a little on MAME, and that was it. But gotcha, I'd, love gotcha. to fi- I'd love to find this in a collection. So if you do find it, that would be awesome. Take a look here in just a second. But before we do that, Eric, we have to say goodbye to the people. Because we're done with six good games and we're done with another episode of Pixel Guide Den. Yeah. How was it being live again? Live in the studio? I miss your musk. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, it is getting a little musky it's in here. It's a little warm. You know, between episodes here, because we're, you know, breaking yeah. the fourth wall, we're going to record another episode here uh, not too long with Tim. Yep. Uh, we're going to be cracking open these windows. Yeah. Get some cranking airflow. up the loud fans we had to turn off to record in, you know, the, the sacrifice we make for the, you people. The things we you do. You listeners. Exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening oh. to Pixel Guide. Oh, I had one thing, because we forgot to do feedback in Arata. Ooh, well, let's go ahead and pot t- you know tag it on the end here. The one thing of Arata that I want to point out, and it's in our notes, is that I left, and this was all my bad, because I get the list ready for you to do your excellent Patreon songs. <laughs> um, but I left Brian Arsenal off of that, which has been a longtime patron, patron, Patreon supporter of the show, and I felt so bad that I left him off, and um, I. I, I Somebody, I'm always humbled when somebody reaches out and supports us, and um, that I left somebody off. I, I, it makes me feel really bad. He was cool about it. He's like, "Oh, no problem. I just, you know, I want to make sure my payments went through and all that." I felt bad. I feel horrible about it. So, Brian Arsenal, I appreciate you. And if I knew sooner, sooner, I'd make an entire chorus. We're just saying Brian Arsenal. Over exactly. And over again. I would appreciate that. Maybe someday we'll do that. Or else, we'll just, <laughs> or else we'll just have a segment like this at the end of the show where we say his name like five times yeah. in like two minutes. Yeah. So, Brian, Brian we appreciate you. <laughs> we speak your name. <laughs> um, that's thus it. Endeth another episode of Pixel Guide N. Yes. Next episode, as we said, we will talk with Tim. We have the game show. We have a battle of the systems between a couple of handheld pinball games. Yes, indeed. And we catch up in general. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Oh, and we have Eric's take, which we are so excited to hear what you have to say, Eric. I will, I, and I will let you know. You'll be the first one to know what it's going to be about. <laughs> I haven't recorded it yet. But until then, everybody, please remember, it's, it's dangerous, dangerous to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. 
If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixel guide in. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. I'll get you next time, Pixel Guiden.